0: Welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Aaron Lowe. And if this is your first episode and you're wondering what this whole thing is all about, well, I'll tell you. Every week, I find my head surgically attached to the body of a different friend and cinephile. Together, we are given a note containing a theme, sometimes specific and sometimes vague. Our job is then to pick a pair of movies that fit that theme and then watch and discuss. This is the Incredible Two Headed Podcast. This meeting's being recorded. Oh, my gosh.
1: Well, hey, uh, what what did we decide was the name of this episode?
0: I didn't come up with one. Oh. I didn't. Oh. What do you think? I don't know. It's not fully noir. It it isn't. One is, the other one has elements at the end. They both have moments where Steve Martin kind of enters the world of a pre-existing movie.
1: That's true. Yeah, I hadn't, I I honestly hadn't given any thought. Um,
0: I hadn't either actually. Until like until right before I called you I was like, "Oh, what am I going to call this?" And I thought like, yeah, maybe I'll just call it Steve Martin, I don't know. Only only Martin's in this
1: podcast to play into Only Murders in the Building which just started the other day.
0: All right, fine. That works. Actually, I like it. I like it. There you go. Only Martin's in this podcast. Well, we'll have to talk about Martin Balsam and, um, yeah, who's another Martin McDonough? Who's another famous oh, Martin? Uh, Struther Martin? Struther Martin,
1: uh, Struther Martin.
0: Yeah, that's a good one.
1: I'm sure we can come
0: up with Martin Short since he's also in Only Murders in the Building. Oh, that would have been great. Is there any? There, there's got to be a Martin Short like detective movie, isn't there? I don't know. I'm sure there is,
1: but it means I have to think about it.
0: Yeah. Well, no. Let's only Martin's in the building. That, that's fine. Um, and no, we. I, I don't know. We. I don't know uh, if you want to keep any of this, but I just figured I'd in, like do a proper intro. Well,
1: I think intro. It's, I think it's. Oh, 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 oh. Wait a minute. Are
0: oh, you come up with a better name?
1: Hold on. I'm gonna Pure luck. What? Pure luck. Well he's not a detective, but he's on he's searching for a missing daughter.
0: Oh okay. He's, he's on yeah, so hold on. I'm I'm turning on the fan. It's getting pretty warm in here.
1: You can keep whatever you want. I like us talking about what title the movie the show has and all that. So
0: yeah, we can put that in. We can put that in. Let's just you can put in whatever you want. Is this one gonna be on Friday? Um actually I've changed it. It's like it's Saturday now. And Saturday or Sunday. I I just 'Cause if I'm working, it gives me that day that I can I can go. edit.
1: But it's going up this this weekend?
0: Yes. Oh, you gotta do a lot of editing for this one. No, it, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Especially oh, yeah. since it appears I'm not working. I can just start and you know, get it done. Um just get,
1: get up at two in the morning. So
0: yeah.
1: Wait, what? I said you can just get up at two every two o'clock every morning and just knock it out. I could. I could.
0: Okay. So yeah, we're going to keep yeah, this in. Get up
1: at 152 every morning and knock it out. Okay. You can get up at 1:47 every
0: morning and knock it out. I'm just seeing how far back I can push your schedule. I could just stay up and never sleep and get it knocked out.
1: Oh, that's a good idea. Let's okay, from now on you never go to sleep again.
0: All right. Well, I'm just going to keep that in then uh, I'll keep not maybe not all of it but I'll keep most of that in the voice you've been hearing everybody listening probably already knows I mean well you definitely already know because it's in the podcast description I'm I'm introducing nothing here um, not you it's just that you've already been introduced you're Rick Todd Johnson of the oh, Cineform- I'm, 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 I'm less than nothing don't be so hard on yourself well okay we are back We've got another summer in the shadows and you're thinking to yourself it's September, the temperatures are going down. I mean, hopefully depending on where you live they're they're going down. Uh, yes, but we are going to the technical end of summer, which is September 22nd. So you've got two more episodes after this. We're going to be talking about noir, maybe three, because I I think I'm, I've got a transitionary episode between, uh, summer and Halloween, but, uh, we're back. We're going to talk about a couple of noir. Well, we're going to talk about one noir, Uh, with an episode we're calling Only Martins in the Building, which, to explain that... Or in the podcast. Or only... Thank you very much. I forgot the title already, and we just had this whole thing about talking about it. Okay, Only Martins in the Podcast, uh, which is, we're talking about a couple of Steve Martin films from early in his career. We're talking about the very noir Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, and the not really noir, but has a couple of elements, Pennies from Heaven. We've been talking for a little bit, Rick, but uh, <laughs> uh, gosh, I was going to say, how, like, how things going, but we've kind of already gone over that. How are things going, though? Oh, they're okay. Everything's perfect. Oh, yeah, of course. This is the best of all possible worlds, after all. Nothing's going on wrong at all. No, no, no. Absolute perfection. Uh, yep. So I guess let's just go straight into it. Listen to the trailer for Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. We'll be right back. I'm gonna go cry right now. Steve Martin, Am, Rigby Reardon,
2: in Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Will $200 be enough in advance, Mr. Reardon? $200, I'd shoot my grandmother. No criminal is too tough for him. (laughs) No pain is too great. Where'd you learn that? At camp. No joke. Too disgusting. Do I look like a dame? Not as much as I do. I haven't turned on the charm yet. He'll laugh in the face of danger. He'll dace in the fange of laughter. I'm on an important case. I need your help. These people we're dealing with are killers. Oh, thanks for telling me. Say something like, uh, no, no, Ma. Look, listen to me. Looks, He'll do anything in the quest for the elusive Academy Award. the Sorry. You'll get action, romance, danger, <laughs> sliding, animal impressions, <laughs> comedy, Comedy comedy and drama when Steve Martin, Rachel Ward, Carl Reiner and Steve Martin she might a jerk find out why dead men don't wear plaid you're through What a guy I think that's impressive The people who brought you the jerk try to make it up to you.
0: In Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, Steve Martin plays private investigator Rigby Reardon, investigating the conspiracy surrounding the death of a famed scientist. The 1982 film directed by Carl Reiner is both a loving homage and an irreverent spoof of the film noir genre, incorporating clips from 19 classic films so that Martin appears to be interacting with actors such as Humphrey Bogart, James Cagney, Burt Lancaster, Joan Crawford, Charles Lawton, Betty Davis, Alan Ladd, and many more. Now, this is a movie I've seen a, a handful of times. This is actually one of the first DVDs I ever bought. Um, and it's it's always been a favorite. It's, it's always been kind of a go-to uh, recommendation film. Like, I, I really like telling people about this movie. It has been years since I saw it, until uh, a couple of weeks ago we watched it, and it um, I was very happy with well, how, how well it held up for me. I was, I mean, laughing out loud at several moments and found the movie even funnier than I remembered the, you know, seeing it years and years ago, but what's your history? I'm, I'm, I I know this is another one, obviously like many others that you have a longer history with than I do.
1: I am older. So yeah, I mean, um, Yeah, so uh, both of these movies I saw at the age of 17, they were released a a few months apart. Uh, One at the end of 1981, this one 1982. And I was, yes, I was still 17 when this got released. Um, I saw both of these movies in theaters. Um, And um, I, when this film came out, um, I knew who all the actors that were used in it are. Maybe not Edward Arnold, but everybody else I knew who they were. I had only seen I, I had told you when we when we watched it together a, little, a couple of weeks ago, um, I thought I, I thought it was 10 movies. But now that I go over the list, um, I saw eight of these movies by the time I saw Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid in the theater. Uh, so I was not familiar with all of the movies in it, but some of them and I knew who the people were. So I did get a lot of the jokes, but there was still stuff lost, that was lost to me at that age, you know. Um, but yeah, I've, uh, this has been a go-to for many years. I was a huge Steve Martin fan in the, you know, <clears throat> from the, from the mid seventies when he first appeared on, on, Saturday Night Live and it was in the Muppet movie. And then the, you know, I saw the, from the Muppet movie and the jerk on up, I saw like every one of his movies up till the mid nineties in a theater. So, um, uh, seeing him uh, was like a regular thing. I, I was obsessed with him for many, many years. I had, you know, his books, his records, and all this stuff. So, yeah, uh, uh, crazy about Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid from the first moment I, it, it came on the screen.
0: Yeah, I think when I saw this the first time, I, I'm looking at the list of the movies that were used. And I think at the time I saw it, I may have seen Dark Passage and White Heat. Uh, possibly the the maybe the um hitchcock films, suspicion and notorious i probably saw those so i think maybe at the most i saw four out of this uh, surprisingly from- i had morning. i had not
1: seen surprisingly i had not seen either of the hitchcock films until after i saw this those those two were not in my my purview as far as hitchcock goes at
0: the age of 17 yeah well i i mean i saw it i was like 20 21 right. Um, right. And I honestly may not have seen those. I was seeing a lot of these movies at this time. Like I was watching a lot of them for the first time. So I might've seen those around the same time I saw Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. I just can't remember which came first. Um, I think I might've seen those in the, the film class at UAA. Yeah. So have you, have you seen all of the movies that are used in America? No, I'm looking at the list now and I'll go over the list in a minute, but I've seen one, two, three, four five six seven eight nine I've seen eleven of them oh twelve okay you got some catching up to do yeah well I guess you better explain exactly why they use these movies in the film well I was just reading about that do you you go ahead uh if you you know the story well it's not a story it's just explaining to the viewer
1: to the listener you know exactly what this film comprises Oh, okay so- yeah yeah so.
0: Sorry. <laughs> I thought you were talking about like where like Carl Reiner and Steve Martin had the idea. Um, yeah, no, the, so the movie is a, a pretty, uh, a pretty straight, like the plot is a film noir, but it is put together as a, a kind of a collage. It's it's all of these clips so that Steve Martin is interacting with the plots of a bunch of different movies and like very well done. Like I I kept expecting watching it again, like, oh, I'm going to hear where they used to sound alike or where they have ADR to make this clip seem like it's something it isn't. But he's having his dialogue fits with what the other people are saying or doing. Um, well, it's
1: directly it's directly a spoof of detective movies and noir movies with Steve Martin acting against all the other actors from these other movies
0: yes but a a spoof that is like you know like the best spoofs very uh fond of what it's making fun of like there are silly jokes in it uh there is a lot of silliness but it's not you know it is not at the expense of the movies it is like we're big fans of this this is a funny thing to say in it let's see there's like well, to give an example, well, I think it's one we actually talked about in the episode with This Gun for Hire, where Alan Ladd shoots that woman through the door and opens the door just enough to check to see that that she's dead. In this, it is he is shooting Steve Martin through the door and he opens it and it cuts to the hand taking the evidence out of Steve Martin's pocket. Right. And, it's very cleverly cut together. Yeah. And it it's um amazing how well the film stocks all fit. I guess the director of photography spent six months studying uh, studying film noir and the lighting and the, you know, shadows and the styles of to make sure that his film stock matched the movies, which, I mean, the, the way film stocks and sto- sources can vary is pretty impressive that most of the scenes that are intercut in are not immediately noticeable like you don't immediately go like that's a different film it it, only that you kind of know maybe the actors in it would have been dead long before this or you know not dead right you know what i mean like it would have been like it wouldn't have fit the time frame of this movie but
1: yeah that the director of photography was michael chapman and two films before this he shot raging bull
0: oh okay i didn't i did not know that
1: he also shot Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 1978 Philip Kaufman version.
0: And Taxi another, Driver. Another, Well, another pair of classics. That, yeah. yeah, no, he's, are, yeah he, did a, he did a few, yeah. Those are very good more, looking more movies. More than a few. What's that? Oh, no, no, those are very good looking movies, like kind of d- oh, definitive yeah. of that era. Yeah, he also shot The Fugitive,
1: the, the Harrison Ford version.
0: Yeah, so I... When I was talking about the story and I, I was just looking doing some minor research before we started is that uh, Steve Martin was having lunch with Carl Reiner and the the other screenwriter George guype I I guess George guype probably wrote most of the story and then Carl Reiner and Steve Martin added their it's own touches and, on. yeah so um, they, they were discussing and Steve Martin had a uh, an idea where he suggested using an old clip or a clip from an old film. And then they that kind of like snowballed into them using all sorts of clips from films throughout the entire movie, and then uh, left the lunch kind of like thinking about what would become this movie. Well, there, there's a couple, a couple of,
1: of interesting things. There's a um, um, there's a, a running, a running. It's not really a running gag, but there's a, a a device that's used in the film for these 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 lists that they're that they keep running into, and one is called uh, Foe, which is for uh, I'm sorry foc which is friends of carlotta and then there's eoc which is enemies of carlotta and um it's just uh the carlotta that which d- turns out to be an island in in the film uh is actually an island in another film that's used in this movie the the scenes with uh um vincent price and charles lawton are from a film uh oh and, and ava gardner one some of her some of her scenes in this are all from a film called the bribe from 1949 and in that there's an island of carlotta and so um that's like you know trying to get independence and all this stuff and so that that device uh with with the island is put into this film so they can use it all through and it, use it all through the film and they, and they come up with this list thing with the enemies of carlotta it turns out they're enemies of the state of carlotta basically and um um and then friends of carlotta so it's a and there is a uh you'll see people online when they make reference to the film like in chat rooms and stuff they'll go uh, they'll they'll sign themselves as a friend of Carlotta or an enemy of Carlotta and stuff. And I, I, I've seen it for years and years, but uh, uh, it's, it's kind of a fun thing in the film. And there is a, there is a bit in the film where uh, Rachel Ward, who's gorgeous uh, says uh, she see, sees the list and she says, but what does fuck mean? You know, the FOC, she says, what does fuck mean? And he's like, it's a slang word. It's when a woman, a man and a woman are in love, the man puts it. And she's like, no, 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 it's written here. FOC. Yeah. But that movie's got like all these like just there's like double entendre jokes like top to bottom in this film it's like every other line it sounds like something dirty and then of course they they kind of you know convert or invert it you know so all of a sudden it's not you know and then every once in a while there's a line that's just flat out you know you know where uh uh martin's character rigby reardon uh, after he after he meets rachel ward he says I hadn't seen a body put together like that since I saw the case of the murdered girl with the big tits.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it goes to like real lowbrow every once in a while. Oh yeah, every
1: once in a while and then it pulls back sometimes, you know.
0: That is is funny because of how deadpan Steve Martin delivers everything and then just how clever everything around it is. Uh, There's a lot of like really funny jokes in this i i like the repeated uh the repeated way rachel ward gets bullets out of his arm uh, yeah i, I like she that he sucks
1: the bullets sucks the bullets out of the wound and then puts a band-aid on the
0: wound <laughs> well i i like that he he's shot the first time and then the second time he's shot and the second time he's shot is um in Bert lancaster's apartment right it's the it's the scene from the killers Right. Uh, yeah. And he just he's shot as he's making his famous Java, and he just kind of has that like ah, oh, the same arm.
1: Right. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's shot in the same place.
0: It's, the it's Java,
1: the Java gag is actually my favorite joke in the entire movie. And every oh. time I watch the film, he so Steve Martin's gonna make Java for Sweet Anderson, which is the Burtland Haster character. And so he's he's in the kitchen, he pulls out a bag of coffee. And he starts shaking it into this pan, just kind of like sifting it into this pan and shaking it and shaking it and shaking it and shaking it. And then he sighs and then he keeps shaking it, shaking it, shaking it. And it goes on for like a minute. And when he can just easily just dump the whole thing and he ends up using the whole bag. And, uh, but the joke is it just keeps going and going. He just keeps casually just shaking this thing. And the first time I saw it in a movie theater, I died. I was just laughing so hard. My buddies and I were laughing like crazy. and. Uh, even, even, uh, the other day when I watched it again for like, this is probably the 50th time. Um, I am still laughing just as hard at that one gag. It's like just endlessly funny to me. And I've even like, like goofed around doing that myself in a kitchen, you know, when I've been making something where I just like, you know, even by myself, I'll do so, you know, I'll just stupidly do that just cause it's funny to me.
0: Um, now, that, that's really fun. Uh, which I was trying to think, sorry, just during that, I was trying to think what my favorite gag might be. And I, I really do like the sucking the bullet out just because it, it gets like the the cut to what she's doing gets shorter and shorter each time. So that by the end, it's I, I think the second time, you just see the top of her head pop into frame and you realize what's happened. And then, um, oh, it, it's the callback at the end when what is his name the um is it carlos uh, in carlotta the cop that rigby who wants
1: want to press his pajamas
0: yeah yeah <laughs> it the callback to the joke when he gets shot and steve martin goes are you going to be okay or do you need help and he's like no i'll be okay i'll get my wife to suck, my the wife out. Will
1: suck it out
0: <laughs> uh it, it's the problem, I think, with comedies on this show is that you just want to start repeating jokes in the movie, but You're right. There, yeah. there's so many funny bits in this to the way it's from that to the way Steve Martin avoids getting shot by Alan Ladd in the beginning <laughs> when <Yeah>. Alan Ladd's <laughs> got, got the gun on him and he just does the quick jump to the side with his hands in the air. Uh, yeah, throws his arms up. Ah! <laughs> yeah. Tries to dodge it and it uh, didn't work yeah. The so. plot is almost inconsequential in this movie because it's not really why you're watching it. It is there no, to, not at all. Of, it, it is there to kind of thread together all of the the scenes and the gags, and and you're supposed to be kind of like uh, impressed, like wowed by how they're blending everything together. And it, it all but works in,
1: in the classic way, though. Um, you're like never really sure about Rachel Ward until the end of the film about whether she's like double dealing him or not, you know, even though she looks like his total sure that she's like in on it and all this, you know? so that, I mean, they do play with the conventions of noir a lot, but they also, they also play along with them too, you know? So, um, and, uh, it's, it's, it's just, they, they really knew the subject when they went in and and just did it to a T
0: yeah, what I was amazed by, too, thinking about this, is this is 19, um, 1982, and so the, the VHS exists, there is home video, but there's no internet, there's no IMDB, you, it, it would take a lot of work to get these movies to watch them, uh, rather than just pulling them up on a computer or something, like They would have. They they... if I if I had seen if I had seen this
1: movie ten years later, I would have seen most of the films by that point, because I mean VHS was still fairly young in 1982. Been out for a few years. Sorry about that. Been out for a few years, but it it hadn't really um, you know a lot of stuff still hadn't come out yet, and so yeah, if you just waited another decade, I mean I definitely would have seen a lot more of these films by the time I saw it. But you know.
0: Yeah, I, I. But still, to be able to um, to be able to like pick these movies, like it's different in the yeah. like, for what we're doing. Like, oh yeah, I've seen these movies once you see them. But to be able to like come up with these clips and think of how to incorporate them, the amount of movies they must have gone through, the amount of like work that went into like picking what would fit and then framing a story around it, especially when you get like. I don't know, you've, you've picked like your plot and you're like five movies deep and you need something that's going to fit a scene. Um, to do that and make it not feel like, like just a collection of unrelated scenes to make it feel like it's all part of the same movie is like really impressive. And it's even more impressive now. Like if they did it now, I would, I would, I would still be impressed. But if they made this right. movie now, I would not be as impressed as I am by the fact that they made this in the early 80s.
1: I was thinking. I was thinking of a film, another movie that kind of plays with with uh, film conventions and stuff. Uh, the movie Fade to Black, and you remember. I, I don't know, it, it, and I'm sure a lot of listeners haven't seen that movie, but you have. Um, but you remember that Eric Benford, the Dennis Christopher character, pl- works in like a film. You know, he works for a a, 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 a film archive, basically where they like rent out the films and all that stuff and no internet in those days, as you were saying. So it's harder to research this stuff unless you went to a library or had access to these films. And even there, the guys that work there are throwing trivia at each other and they don't really have a way to check it except so, you know, Benford asks, you know, asked Mickey Rourke, you know, what, what Rick's name was in Casablanca, what his last name was in Casablanca. Well, easy to find nowadays not so easy to find in 1982 you know so i think that movie's 1980 i think but so 1980 even worse um so yeah as you were saying it is amazing that they were able to like but at the same time they're in hollywood where there are people who specialize in this stuff and like know this stuff back and forth and so they probably had the best chance of
0: access to these things of, of anybody so yeah i mean that that's true that's true um, so this, I had not seen, uh, I, I, this led me to just looking at the, um, uh, the Wikipedia, maybe you've seen either of these, uh, the staggering stories of Ferdinand de Bargos. Have you I heard
1: don't that? know. It's no. A
0: 1989 BBC comedy TV series. Uh, in which surreal and satirical narratives are assembled entirely out of archive film clips with new soundtracks provided by voiceover artists. Okay. Which is, well, that I, sounds, I, more I, like a, that's sounds more like a what's up, Tiger Lily situation. Yeah, there. I was just thinking about that. And then also uh, a French film, La Class Americaine. Um, it in, consists exclusively of extracts of old Warner Brothers films put together and dubbed with new lines. So, yeah, it's the same yeah. thing. I yeah
1: said. that's a lot of these things i mean there's even a there's even a, a version of the blob that's out there that they that somebody did as a, i think it's called ah what is it called I've, I've seen it it's chat or something or whatever i can't remember what it is but so, somebody somebody took the blob and then did the same kind of what's up tiger lily kind of thing to it where they had a comedy i think it was the groundlings oh blobbermouth like that or like a you know comedy team out of la that um blubber mouth is that what it's called? mouth. Yeah, yeah. Similar thing though. That's a similar thing though. But yeah. As far as this goes, um I know there's I know I've seen a couple things that they kind of play with this in the same way. I mean, in a in a certain way, Zelig is kind of that where they inserted Woody Allen to all this old footage and stuff. But there they directly put him in the footage. You know. Yeah they, I mean, they didn't cut him, they didn't cut him, and, like, so in Dead Man Don't Wear Platt, he's, he's never in the shot with Alan Ladd or Henry Bogart or anything like that. It's, they just, the way they cut it, it makes it seem like they're in the same scene, whereas in Zellig, Woody Allen is right there standing behind Hitler, you know, making faces and stuff, you know, so, um, a, a similar thing around the same time, too, uh, but not quite the same thing.
0: Um, yeah what was the um there was one scene one person he appears kind of in in or it appears that they're sharing the screen together
1: what was it no i think it's the way they just had a body double like as part of their body or something like that yeah maybe. i don't don't think they're actually sharing the the, i don't think they put them in the same shot though
0: maybe not there was a scene with carrie grant in suspicion according to wikipedia anyway where uh, trick photography makes it appear that they're in the same shot, not over the shoulder.
1: Maybe they did. I mean, they're in the, they're in the train car, but they're sitting across from each other.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, they did. They, did. Oh, they are yeah. facing
1: each other. Yeah, yeah, they are facing each other. So, that, okay, that's the shot. Yeah. But that one, that's a split screen thing. That's, a, that's easy. Because that, it basically half the car, half the car facing each other. So, yeah, that one, yeah, they are facing each other in that shot.
0: And um one th- one gag you like I know this gag, the slowly I turned. I oh i'm a, I'm a
1: massive fan of uh Susquehanna hat Company or whatever version of it you want to do. um, yeah, slowly I turned step by step, inch by inch, yeah.
0: I know this from watching old like TV. I'm not even sure where I might have seen it before, maybe. Warner Brothers cartoons, maybe I love Lucy. The most Um,
1: famous, yeah, but there is is an episode of Lucy that's centered around it, but uh, the most famous version was, I think, I know the Stooges did a version of it, but I think the the, um, Abbott and
0: Costello is the most uh, famous one, I believe. Okay, that might might also be it. I, I just, I know this gag, but I don't really know its history, and I'm not quite, like, I... It's an old vaudeville
1: routine that gets just brought out by almost every comedy team at some point. But yeah, Stooges definitely did one. Sid Caesar did one. I mean, there's all sorts of them. Um, I don't know who did it first. A lot of people claim to do it. Um, Oh, there's actually a, yeah. uh, um, Niagara Falls is the one that Abbott and Costello did on on, on, on tv that became super well known uh the one i know is the susquehanna hat company but i that, i think that's actually the same one yeah um they they did it on the Abbott costello show as the susquehanna hat company also and um the band too much joy i don't know if you know that band or not it's one of my favorite bands
0: yeah uh, i kind of know them
1: they actually have a song called susquehanna hat company And uh, in the song, the chorus is, uh, why don't you say, say her name, say her name. And then, and everybody goes insane. It's that sort of thing. So mentioning this girl turns it into the slowly I turned routine, basically, where it just drives the person insane just to hear her name, you know. But uh, yeah, it's on their Serial Killers album, which is their best
0: album. Okay. Their most famous album. I I do know them. I do not know that album. I don't know a lot about them. So I'll, I'll listen to that album later today. I have. Every single thing they've ever done, including
1: the new stuff, released this year they actually got back together again so
0: i i you know you know i'm doing this whole listening to a new album a day and it has to be a new album from this year um i missed a couple of days so i'm playing catch up and there are two days early in the year before i figured out that this is what i want to do where i listen to old albums so I'll, i'll eventually catch up on those too so that by the end of this year i'll have listened to 365 albums from 2021 um but i will take the time out and i will listen to that that'll be one of my old albums or like re- not revisits but you know uh go back and listen to something that's not quite new
1: i listen to them every week
0: so <laughs> <laughs> this is a complete tangent but this music project i put myself on it has been such a joy for me like it's been such a mood lifter and it's it's because like every week i'm finding a couple of albums that are either like good i enjoyed the experience or great and i want to own the album like i'm i went back through and i'm making a because i i was revising my list and kind of like putting thoughts next to each one and marking which ones i want to re-listen to before the year's over because i want to do a, a like a these are my favorite albums thing and the amount of things in just like the first month that i marked as good or great is the majority of the albums i listen to so i'm not sure if i'm just being very lucky or if i have no taste and i like everything but i it's been so much fun to like listen to new music and find all these new bands i'm, I'm going I'm going, to, I'm going to i'm going
1: to go with you have no taste
0: so yeah yeah maybe maybe
1: <laughs> i keep my ear to the ground uh um but i but honestly most of what i hear is bullshit so because 85% of everything out there is bullshit doesn't matter doesn't matter what what art form it is so i agree i agree but also i feel like well not, but that means there's like 15% out there that's great so
0: uh, and there's so much there's so much out there that even 15% of that is still pretty damn good yeah you just got um, to find it i will i will say that this has really hammered home like this is hammered home a feeling i or an i a thought i've had for years which is anybody complaining that all modern music or all modern movies or shows or books or whatever you want to say anybody claiming it all sucks is not doing the research they're not looking hard enough yeah. yeah well it's the same reason i hate it when people go oh stupid hollywood blah 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 it's like well
1: first off most of the films you watch weren't even made in hollywood anymore so you know, they're all shot in Canada. They're all shot in Georgia. You know, it's like not, you know, the, maybe the, the the financial structure is still in Hollywood for some of these companies, but not all of them. You know, it's like, uh, I, I get upset by people who, you know, think that, you know, if you put out a successful superhero movie, it kills independent film, you know, and or, you know, it's just, t- speaking in generalizations just doesn't do anybody any good. It's like, it's, and- yeah. Uh, so the, by the same token, what you were saying, it's just you know, it's just ridiculous.
0: Yeah, but I I mean I think there is something to the fear. Go out
1: and discover stuff for yourself. You know, just be adventurous and
0: find what you like. Yeah, I I think there is something to the fear that, or um, well, not the fear, but the concern that superhero movies are kind of taking over Hollywood, and. Certainly there are kind of styles of movies that just don't seem to get made anymore right. ten years though.
1: ago it would be it, ten years ago it would have been another type of movie and 10 years before that it would be another type of movie and it's like it, it all cycles it all cycle you know eventually everybody's gonna weary of the I mean personally I'm tired of every TV show being about a group of people getting together and fighting ghosts and monsters you know because that seems to be like everything nowadays it's like it, it's like okay well you know, Oh, you have a show about fighting vampires and monsters. It's like, yeah, okay, Buffy did it 20 years ago, and then this show did it, and Supernatural did it, and oh, well, you know, it's like, it, it's nothing special anymore. You know, it's every every freaking show, and it's like, and I love ghosts and monsters, so it's not like I don't want to see those shows. It's just, you know, I, I get I get burned out into it. I I do get tired of you know, every other show being a superhero show or every other movie, you know, it's like, and I love superheroes, you know, and I love Marvel superheroes and I love DC superheroes and I'm happy that they're making the movies I wanted to see when I was a kid, but I understand people being tired of them too, but it doesn't mean you have to thrash my good time just because, you know, go out and find the movies you want to watch and shut up about it.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I've been, there's been a lot of online discussion about the new Clerks 3, because kevin smith recently put a photo of the cast up and the amount of people they're like uh, seem personally offended that kevin smith keeps making these movies when it's just like well you don't have to watch them. in fact his movies barely get released these days you have to go out of your way to see kevin smith movies so people that are upset about them it's like you like why waste the energy just don't watch it and personally i i mean i'll still check out what kevin smith does even if I'm not completely a fan of everything he's done. I, I'm, I'm glad that he gets to keep working. I, I, he seems like a nice guy and I wanted to be, you know, successful. Exactly. I, for, I, I still absolutely love
1: the original Clerks. And that is a ticket for me to get to go, okay, Kevin Smith gets to make whatever movie he wants to make. And sometimes I'll like him and sometimes I'll wish he had tried something different. And sometimes I wish he had a better visual sense. But at other times it's like, I love his writing and he, and he's fun. I wish he'd grow up a little bit, but sometimes he does. He, he makes a movie like Red State, you know? So, um, uh, but, you know, I, I, I still enjoy him and I'm going to watch out, I'm going to watch Clerks 3. Um, uh, I wish he'd do a sequel to Dogma. <laughs> so
0: it's like uh, he does grow every once in a while. His humor stays the same. Is but right. I I really enjoyed Clerks too. Um, mainly because I I found it to be a very uh a very interesting topic that doesn't get tackled a lot or not topic but a message that the movie was about your life isn't turning out the way you want it to be or you wanted it to. And you, you, you're going to have to at some point just like stop being miserable about that. It is about finding a way to be happy and successful, even though your life is what you might have considered a, like a state of failure as a, as a youngster, like, you know, it, it the Randall and Dante in Clerks one would have viewed Randall and Dante and clerks too, as failures that would, they would have hated to see that future. And it's about finding an acceptance and being able to be happy with, with that, that you don't have to be living a life of great purpose to be happy And which I, I find, I found very uh, more mature than I think a lot of people give Kevin Smith credit for, even though, you know, it, it's full of like the most juvenile humor as well. And how do we tie all of this
1: to Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid?
0: I know. I was just thinking, like, man, we've gone so far, like, so far afield. Oh, reals, man, come on. It's fine. It's fine. It's like, that. I want the shows to start getting a little bit looser. That, that's fine. I do, too. But
1: at the same time, you know, we, you know, we've got to carry through on the film. So
0: we do. So we do. I, I, wanted,
1: I wanted to get to uh, the director of the film is Carl Reiner. Yes. Uh, who, the, who recently passed in the last year and uh um and this was like the second of four films that he directed with steve martin they they did like four films in very quick succession together and uh um and uh, uh i guess martin considered reiner to be his greatest mentor early in his career and and reiner is actually in this movie in a terrific role as the uh, well, I mean, I guess it'll give it away since this is the show where we talk. We do talk, give spoilers away. Uh, who is the villain of the film? It, it's um, the
0: butler at first.
1: The butler at first, and this brings up another one of my favorite gags, which is where uh, Steve Martin shows up at the door and he's been shot.
0: And <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. Um, okay.
1: And he tells, he tells, he tells uh, the butler played by Reiner to catch him. He goes, he goes, catch me, and he goes. And then he, Reiner lets Martin drop to the floor, and he says, "He goes, I can't. I'm a butler, not a catcher." (laughs) It's like,
0: it's yeah. I
1: love that. I love that, and he's just he's just so deadpan when he says it. You know, it's just like ah, fantastic. And you also know that there's something wrong with the guy as soon as he does that. You know, it's like
0: yeah, that and the fact that he's got a German accent, (laughs) so. In a in a noir or is, is, is in film just denotes note villainy in, in American yeah, film. Everyone, yeah, every once in a while, Peter Lorre would turn out to be a good guy, you know. So, but he did he well. He does seem to be doing like a, um, an auto Preminger. Oh, absolutely! It's it, the look is absolutely auto Preminger. Which does kind of demote a certain level of villainy.
1: He's got a monocle, you know. It's like. I guess a little bit of Stroheim, Von Stroheim too, you know? Yeah. Maybe a little Fritz Lang too. They all had, they all had monocles, you know? So, so.
0: Gosh, there was something I was just going to say about this.
1: That you wish you'd written more notes?
0: Yes, that, that for sure. <laughs> um, but that's, like, that's why I kind of don't write notes now with you and with Carlos, because I'm fine with the tangents and I get you want to talk about this movie and like make it more about honoring this movie but honestly like with comedies it i saw reviews of this calling it kind of a one joke movie which i disagree with i don't i don't think they
1: do I, I see their point though I, I i do understand when people say that but that also that also implies that they grew weary of with it from like the second minute
0: yeah no i you know, i i know and, i understand and
1: this film has this film has so many just terrific jokes on Steve Martin's part and everybody else's, but especially, you know, because Steve Martin carries the film all the way through. And it's just, uh, there is something about the the narration in the film, the way he delivers it. And it is kind of funny that the same year this came out is the same year that Blade Runner came out where everybody hated the narration, which is in the same, the same mode, you know. Um, but it's interesting, the inspiration for the narration in this film was uh, a Bogart film called Dead Reckoning from 1947, and uh, and Bogart is telling his story to a priest at the beginning of the film. He's telling the story to a priest, and then, but in in this movie, um, yeah, Bogart's narration of naturally because it's Bogart is just very flat, very deadpan as he's talking to the priest about what happened, and so Rigby kind of has that same kind of flat kind of thing, but because the lines he's delivering as opposed to uh rip's character that, that bogart's character is named rip in that film um uh um, the, the narration is very very same it's very monotone and except you know of course martin's is is ridiculous you know he just whips like just goofy little jokes into the narration over and over and over again as he tells the story but uh, yeah, Dead and Dead Reckoning is not used. There's three Bogart movies used in this movie, but Dead Reckoning is not one of them.
0: Yes, what I was going to say about the reviews calling it a one-joke film is that, like, I get what they're saying. I don't agree with it completely because it it kind of, uh, it, it well, it implies they're just repeating the same joke over and over again. But the joke isn't him interacting with right. people. It the joke is how he interacts and what he says. Like there is the humor is not just the same joke repeated over again. There's variety, there's a lot of different things. Um but the story, so many good names in this film. Yeah, yeah. No, there the, the um oh the one that I was just thinking about. Oh the the Charles Lawton one. Uh where, oh. where <laughs> he mentions the hunchback. Yeah yeah what does he say he's like uh he's like do you know who I am and he's like the hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh yeah and Lawton had played the hunchback in 1939. Yeah, so it, it, there, there are, are so many fun gags in this movie, but it is kind of hard to talk about because, it, well, as a comedy, you, you get to the point where you just want to talk about like the jokes, and that's not really funny. You want people to watch it and discover it for themselves. But um, but there, like, there isn't a lot to talk about, I don't think, about this movie beyond what we've already said about how how great the the melding of the film stocks are like all the scenes it, it comes black together and
1: white,
0: like Zelig i guess
1: it's black and white um and and it's gorgeous and it's just edited so crisply uh with the modern footage and the, and the and the vintage footage and it's just a terrific film to watch it's, it's just a fun time and if you just if you just like steve martin comedies this is like one of the best
0: yeah i agree i agree this is one of my my favorite steve martin films um the title we should talk about the title dead men don't wear plaid makes no sense <laughs> in the movie right like it, it doesn't it, it doesn't have anything to do with anything in the movie i uh, guess there was
1: a scene that was that was filmed but it got cut out of the film
0: yes i was gonna say where,
1: where there's a character who did not like people who wear plaid i guess it, i guess it would kind of be along the lines of the cleaning woman routine that's in the film which is the slowly i turned routine but yeah, but there is but it's still mentioned. The dead men don't wear plaid line is still mentioned in the film. It's passed off as it doesn't really matter, basically. He says, when I arrived in Carlotta, I thought of the words Marlowe had said to me over 15 years ago: Dead men don't wear plaid. Huh? Uh, yeah, yeah. Dead okay. Don't Sorry. Wear plaid. I still don't know what it means.
0: Yeah, I couldn't remember that. I... yeah.
1: Uh, oh, and yeah. something about the Marlowe character, which is uh, the character which is Bogart's character. Unlike, I mean, everybody else in the film has like one or two quick little bits in the film that they, where they, they leave in there. But Bogart, they use footage from three of his films in the movie. And Bogart is basically like the supporting character to uh, Rigby Reardon, to Steve Martin's character. Um, it's his, his basically assistant. You know, it's, he's another detective that helps out Rigby Reardon or supposed to help out Rigby Reardon, but he's not the best
0: help. No, they and, don't seem to like each other.
1: Right. The running gag is that you know they have to work together, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, but Rigby is always down on Bogart and uh, on on Marlowe on Philip Marlowe and um on well, I think they just call him Marlowe in the film. They call him Philip Marlowe. Yeah. He's I guess he's supposed to be Philip Marlowe, but I'm not sure. The actual you know the, 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 the that that particular detective, I'm never sure if it's supposed to be the same Philip Marlowe or not. But yeah, he's always down on him and like they'll they'll cut in scenes of bogart like barely reacting to anything that that steve martin character says so it seems like he's like they're like not connecting on any level and if if rigby reardon tells him to do something like wear a tie bogart just like passes it off you know so and it's kind of a running thing in the film i guess there was a scene that got cut out of the theatrical version uh where uh rigby reardon considers bogart's character to be over the hill and just kind of a kind of a loser, and they cut it out of the theatrical version, but I guess it was put into it into the TV version that, that aired on regular on network television. Huh. Kind of like the same way they had they cut out scenes of, or they had other scenes from Halloween that only showed up on the NBC network version.
0: Yeah, because they had to cut out a lot of violence. Yeah, you know. So, well, that happened a lot. Like, I yeah, think the thing had well, the thing had narration, and. I know there was right. like like uh, fistful of dollars had had a new intro, right? Um, yeah, that one I'm not, I don't know about one of one of the not good, the bad, and the ugly, but it was either fistful of dollars or for a few dollars more had a a, a new intro and maybe an outro to it.
1: But okay, yeah, I don't, I don't that one I can't vouch for. I, I don't know that one. No.
0: I just remember it was on the DVD I got, but
1: yeah, I'm sure it's on the DVD I have too. I just don't remember it. So. <laughs> Uh, saw the link i sent you of the soundtrack yes yeah you
0: might are you wanting to put some music in i can do that
1: well no i'm just saying it's there it's 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 miklos rosa music so i mean it was his last score that he did so uh and and he even scored some of the movies in the film itself so that are used in the film so uh like the bribe so uh yeah no it's it's uh it's, it's a nifty little score and there's some really cool stuff in it. And I just thought, well, that's an easy way. So it, apparently they released it as a soundtrack, but most people don't know about it. I think it was a very small release, but that's just, that's just the suite of stuff from it. But, um, but yeah, I was actually trying to find the song that sung on the Island of Carlotta um, cause I wanted to find out if there are actually lyrics to the Spanish song in the film, cause I heard her saying enchilada in the background. So then I was starting to wonder if what she's saying is just a series of, of foods, but I couldn't find anything about it. I has gotta be something with that song. Anyway, I, I, I found that and I thought, Oh, well, you, maybe you can pull like music clips from it easily or something like that. So
0: yeah, I, I can do that. I can pepper some throughout or maybe just use them yeah. as an outro later on Yeah, intro outro kind of thing. So. Well, um, I know we kind of went far afield and there's a lot like you're, we're leaving listeners to discover about this movie, but a highly recommended, I think you called it one of your favorites. This is one of my favorites from Steve Martin as well. Um, And Carl Weiner as well. Like it's, it's a very, very funny movie. uh, I would recommend to everybody. Uh, But how about we take a break unless you have anything more you want to say? No, it was good. Okay. We'll take a break and we'll be right back with um, we're going to go on a little bit of a tangent again, we're going to kind of like take a sharp left turn and talk about pennies from heaven.
2: Steve Martin in his first dramatic role. All my life, I've been looking for you, Miss Everson. Bernadette Peters, provocative, original. She put the real meaning into them songs. I always knew they told the truth. You've never seen them like this before. You've never seen anything like Pennies from Heaven, a special motion picture experience. Rated
0: R. Now playing at a theater near you. Adapted by Dennis Potter from his own script for the BBC miniseries of the same name, Pennies from Heaven is a 1981 musical set in Depression-era Chicago. In the film, Steve Martin plays struggling salesman Arthur, who meets and seduces Eileen, a small-town schoolteacher played by Bernadette Peters. Arthur's callous dismissal of Eileen sends her on an increasingly tragic path once she becomes pregnant, while, while Arthur's own fortunes meet their own ups and downs. Now, this is a movie I had heard about. I hadn't heard a lot. All I knew is it's it's considered a fiasco. It was a flop at the time. Um, I watched it for the very first time with you right after we finished Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. It was a very surprising experience. Uh, There are moments in the movie I didn't know how I felt about it. I felt very uncomfortable a lot of the time. Uh, I, I felt depressed. I wasn't sure if I was going to end up liking the movie or not. I will tell you, this one stuck with me like for days after I was thinking about scenes and like kind of getting a weird emotional mood while thinking about it um it's very like a very striking film I see why it flopped I see this is not for every especially well we can get into it but this is only Steve Martin's second starring role after the jerk and this must have just like given audiences whiplash like they must not have known at all what to do and i I read some reviews that called him out like said that he ruins the movie could have been good otherwise and i think just because nobody was ready to take him as a serious actor but um well uh, let me let me hear from you you i know this is another one you saw in theaters but what's my history
1: my history of this film goes back to december 1981 Uh, when it was released to theaters though it actually might be like january 1982 because in alaska i i'm not sure when they actually started showing films the same time the rest of the country did you know releasing them the same day i'm not sure when that happened i know it you know like television i think at that time would had barely caught up you know like because it used to like tv and 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 in the late in the 70s and i think early 80s was still like a week behind the rest of the country because they had to like shift the tapes up to, you know. So they played them like a week behind. And I'm, I'm not sure about movies if they, uh, but anyway, regardless. I saw this film when it came out. Um, it, my, my friends and I all went to it. We were all Steve Martin fans. Um, my buddy Robert and I, probably the biggest ones. And it was a mixed reaction in our group. I mean, not everybody was happy with it. And we argued about this movie so much when it came out. Uh, some of my friends were genuinely pissed about this movie. Um and I think it's just because as you said a lot of people were not ready to accept Steve Martin in a dramatic role. And um but I another thing about when this movie came out um I when it came out I had just turned 17 and so this was in that kind of first wave of R-rated films that I could go to without, you know, quote unquote parental supervision. Yeah. Um But of course we did the old, you know, tried and true bait and switch, you know, to get into R rated films, you know, which was, you know, buy a ticket to one movie and then sneak into the next theater, you know, at, at the, at either the polar or the, uh, uh, well, I think the polar was still just one theater at that time, but at the, uh, um, at the fireweed, which was three theaters at, at that time, it turned into more later um so anyway we we you know that's how we got so that's how we got into like friday the 13th and prom night and terror train and things like that you know and uh and and those movies had nudity and sex in them but um this movie which has nudity and sex in it um this was the first one i mean you know i was a teenager so yeah i was like yeah you know you know you know, I I want to see nudity. I want to see sex on the screen. But this movie felt me made me feel like just dirty about it. You know. It yeah.
0: Like, I and I, I agree. was like,
1: so you know, I and even though I I did like the film, I was the one in our group who really liked the film, but it made me feel grimy. Um, and there's a one particular scene is is the one I'm thinking of, but we'll get into that later. Um. So uh, let's go forward with the movie.
0: Yeah, I I think it wasn't just that people weren't ready for Steve Martin as a dramatic actor, but a dramatic actor in a role that is so unlikable, <laughs> like this. Yeah, Arthur, he's unlikable from second one of the film. He he is the the moment we meet him, he is waiting for the alarm to go off so he can wake up his wife and try and have sex, which is like, I mean that's kind of a sitcomy thing, like whatever, but. There's something about him. He just always looks unwashed, even when he's yeah. like, he he's, looks,
1: he's sweaty. Yeah, he's yeah, sweaty. He
0: sweaty. He's got his mouth open and almost kind of a, 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 like a very hungry, but also kind of a dead stare a lot of the time. Um, yeah. That, when it comes to women. Yeah. Yeah. That is, is very off-putting. And I had, I was not expecting that from Steve Martin. I was put off by it. And it took a little while for me to realize like, oh, some of this is not supposed to be funny because that first scene where he's like really trying to pressure his wife into sex, it, it does seem like maybe this is humor that is just like missing the mark. And then I realized uh, then, you know, the movie goes on and you're like, oh, okay. It's a little bit more.
1: That was the problem when it was released is that everybody at the beginning of the film is going, it's Steve Martin and okay here he comes and be funny and he's not you know it but it's forced funniness in that opening scene you know where he's trying to be kind of charming but at the same time trying to get laid and uh and nowadays it looks even worse you know nowadays it's just like he is creepy and molesty even with his own wife and it's like um but yeah then it was yeah everybody's waiting for as you said there's humor but it's really dark humor. And uh, you're waiting for Steve Martin to just kind of like wink to the audience and all this stuff. And he never does. He never winks to the audience. Um, no, no. And that's, and that's the tone of most Richard, uh, not, uh, Dennis Potter uh, material, like the singing detective and all this stuff. It's all exceedingly dark. I mean, his, the, and if you we know anything about Dennis Potter and his life, I mean, yeah, he's... He he went through some stuff, and uh, his, and his material kind of plays that way. It's 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 finding escape where you can in music and movies, and uh, but all of his characters are just like just riddled with either diseases or self doubt or you know just uh, in Steve Martin's case, just and uh, in, in this character in Arthur's case, uh, he's just an asshole. <laughs> you know, it's like
0: yeah, I have to admit to my great shame i only know dennis potter through the remake of the singing detective which is okay but you gotta see the
1: series
0: i know i i hear that i i watched it and i'm like yeah that was fine um and i watched that because i'm a big uh keith gordon fan i like i like his work as a director a lot Um, sure and thought like okay well that was that was okay. Uh, but then I hear from everybody that the BBC version is incredibly superior. I just, I never have gotten around to seeing it. Um, or this, obviously. I, I've never seen this. And right, right. I've never seen that. I've only seen the same detective. But. And the part of the disconnect with this as well is that once the movie starts to become a musical, like the first song that he sings well nobody sings everybody lip syncs to music that was popular in the oh there is singing at the end one scene at the end uh, right but the, the for the most for the rest of it everybody is lip syncing popular music from the 20s and 30s um, the first time that happens that also looks like maybe this is supposed to be funny but it's also sad yeah it is,
1: that, it is when he's looking it, in the mirror yeah and yeah and and it's just a, it's just, it's just like a 20 second bit of music, but, and then it cuts back to his real life. And then that's when you realize, okay, something weird is going on here. And mind you, when we went to go see the film, um, I don't even remember if I saw a trailer for it. I just knew there was a new Steve Martin movie because you know we were all like, oh, there's a new Steve Martin movie. We'll go see it. So it's not like we were set up or anything like that to go, oh, you know, it, it's, it's called Pennies from Heaven. We all know the song. It looks like it's a musical. Okay. That's fine it's still gotta be funny. Right. And so, yeah, yeah. As you are saying that scene comes up, He he lip syncs slash sings a little bit and it's a woman's voice though. It's not his voice. And that's the interesting thing is that, that, that when, when he sings along in the mirror, it's a woman's voice. That's, that's on the song. So right there, that's a little off putting, at least, especially for an audience in 1982. Today it would be like, okay, whatever, you know, um but uh it was it, it was very off-putting and but it also made you wonder what type of movie this is going to be where it's going to lead yeah and the um the, the- i'm gonna say he's he's very effective in the role so i mean it sounds like we're it sounds a little bit like we we're putting him down because a lot of people were putting him down at the time he's very effective in this role and he's playing the character as written so i don't i don't I, but and, and i think Martin, as a performer, he has this like kind of boundless energy to him and uh, a real flair for physical work. And you see that all through this film because he's got to dance and jump around a lot. Um, but I would say at the time, in 1982, because this was his first real dramatic role, um, I don't think maybe his sense for that had quite as developed as he, as he needed to actually fully pull off the role. So I think he's effective in it. Um, I I don't think he's totally successful in the acting in the film, but I also think he's not nearly as bad as a lot of people, a lot of critics at the time made him out to be. And I think a lot of people have, I, I know this film has a cult following now. Um, and I know a lot of people, uh, totally accept him in it these days, but it's still, and even me who accepted him at the time, I see it now and I still wrestle with it because it's like, Cause you know, he's your hero. So you want him to do well. And it's just like, Oh, okay. Is he really that good in this? You know, I mean, it's, it's always some, some kind of doubt that I have, you know, when I watch it, but, I, but when I get to do the
0: film, I go, yeah, he was terrific in it. Yeah. I never thought he was bad. I don't want to give that impression. I think he's good. Right. I think people, I think people had a hard time, uh, just accepting it. Yeah. yeah. Accepting it. I think nowadays Everybody is kind of more used to Steve Martin as more as kind of an erudite. Uh, We've seen him
1: do everything. Yeah, He's a, he really is a Renaissance man.
0: So, so now I don't think it would be as shocking, but coming right off of the jerk to this, it's like what a slap right. in the face if you're expecting yeah. that wacky that wacky persona. Yeah.
1: Unless you were the one person out there who watched the jerk and thought that was a drama, you know. Right. So. <laughs>
0: And apparently poor guy he's been shot at
1: because he's in front of those cans. Oh my gosh! You know, it's like,
0: <laughs> apparently Martin, like really, I, I don't know how much he campaigned for this role or how instrumental he was in getting this made. I remember, or I I did read something about how he had seen the BBC version when it was on and thought it was one of the best things he'd ever seen, Right, uh, which, which does, You know, Lynn suggests that even at the time he was a more fully rounded artist than what he was showing on stage. And uh, his interests certainly were more diverse than just being the, you know, wild and crazy guy. Um,
1: Yeah, he always wrestled with that, especially early on. I mean, once he once he got to the early 80s and he was able to accept the different sides of his persona a little bit better. I, I feel, um, just you know, he, he. But yeah, early on, he was really trying to make some inroads into other types of film. He he wanted to he wanted to branch out from comedy, which people always want to do, and it's like you know what, just yeah. I mean, Tom Hanks did it, I guess, but you know, it's like, but um, it, 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 it sometimes it works, and I feel I feel Martin has, you know, it just took him a while, you know.
0: I, yeah. Uh, so I, I just want to say, I'm not trying to dismiss him in this role. I think he's good. I was just trying to talk about the, the you know, the disconnect. Uh, yeah. Between expectations. Um, and I don't know. I, I gotta, maybe on future viewings, I'll be able to look at his performance and say like, yeah, maybe he's not hitting it out as you know well as he would later on. But it, it, it did strike me as like, he was, he was, good for the role like it, it did
1: yeah, yeah it didn't i think, any, I, think he's fine. He's fine. I
0: didn't have any issues with it
1: yeah yeah so i, I want to say like the next the next uh, scene uh so martin's character he's he sells he sells sheet music which was a huge thing back in the you know the 20s and 30s and even before that that's how people it wasn't records it was sheet music that's what people bought So they could have it in their homes and play it on their pianos and stuff. And every, the family could sing along. That was a major thing back then. So that's what he's doing as a business. He wants to branch. He wants to open his own shop and not just be a traveling salesman selling music. And so he tries to secure a loan uh, from a bank. And so uh, that's where the first big musical number in the film takes place is at this bank and he's turned down for the loan, but the song comes on the soundtrack and it's uh, the song is yes. Yes. My baby said Yes. Yes. Uh, which is a terrific tune uh, and then Martin and the loan officer at the bank or the or bank president or whoever he is they both jump up on a desk and uh, they kiss each other on the cheek and the uh, uh, or Martin kisses the uh, the bank officer on both cheeks and the bank officer and because the, the, the song starts playing and there's a femi- there's a male and female in the song and the female giggles and, and then the bank officer giggles like a little girl when Martin kisses him and that, I just remember that in a theater. I remember I just full on remember because at that because up to that point we weren't sure this was actually going to really be a musical. We weren't really sure what we were in for. And that moment happens and then the tap dancing starts and there's a tons of dancers come in and they're dancing up and down stairs and Steve Martin does a big tap routine and it's like wow. <laughs> you know. And to this day I just Really, really love this scene. It's just so energetic, and you know, it just really opens the film up at that point.
0: I'll agree. I agree. This this is still at the point where I am coming to like coming to realize what type of movie this is, because everything in the beginning kind of felt like a bit of forced humor that was. A little grimy and and and, uh, yeah. and dirty and I think uncomfortable is, is, is really the way to say what the way that, that humor was.
1: I think because it, it's somebody going, Hey, hey, huh huh, huh? You know, and the other person on the receiving end of it, his wife is just kind of like, uh,
0: uh I don't want to talk to you, <laughs> you know. It's like and the the bank loan scene is a big shot of of kind of joyous energy. But also the moment in the movie, I went, "Oh, this is a tragedy. <laughs> this is not yeah. going to be a, a yeah. happy because movie." Because he's been told, he's been told
1: no, flat out. But in his head, he imagined this scenario where he's the he's the winner. Yes, yes, you know. And my baby is actually him getting the loan, you know. So, the the bank, you know. So, uh, yeah, it yeah, full on. Just it's sad, even though it's boisterous and joyous and then you get to the end of it and you back to reality
0: which yeah which is a a kind of dichotomy the movie does or pulls throughout um i'm skipping ahead so you've got scenes you're going to want to talk about but i just want to talk about the next performance that really like really left an impression on me oh yes i cannot remember the character's name but I, i just call him the vagrant that yeah he's he's, i call him the drifter he's a accordion
1: i think he's like the accordion player or i i I can't remember he doesn't really have a name in the film they don't really call him anything um but it's uh vernell bagneris is the is the actor uh screenwriter dancer he's very
0: very well known in theatrical circles Uh, oh yeah he's listed on IMDb as the accordion man and he's accordion a side, the side of the road a dusty road that steve martin picks up and then takes to lunch and he's buying him lunch and this is a moment where i was like well maybe there's a little bit of magical realism in this movie maybe like this character will leave and come back and and his, like steve martin is a horrible person i'm thinking like at this point and, in the movie i'm like he, he's not a good guy
1: he'll be justified he'll be made better by this person being around him and all that stuff
0: you have hope for that yes which as you which, said we won't spoil yet but it's not quite where the movie goes but this scene here at lunch where the guy starts singing and the the diner like walls go away and he's like dancing really slowly outside and the rain is coming down it is so like it's so well put together it is a beautiful scene i was hypnotic is what it is yeah i was enthralled this entire moment and this is the point in the movie where the movie like really won me over and even though later on i still had my ups and downs i this moment i just loved everything about the movie i was like this is going to be perfect and i i kind of don't didn't feel that but i i i think this this is the moment i kind of just like let go and let let the movie like dictate what it was going to be um but yeah i i I really love this scene quite a a lot
1: yeah it's it's gorgeous and uh his performance uh is just as i said hypnotic he's just he has this really kind of like kind of angular you know kind of body and he does these weird moves where he's like kind of shuffling across the screen and stuff and it's just it's just marvelous it's uh it's like a slow shuffle in the rain and he's just you know it's like like you're doing sand dancing but you're you know but he's in the rain and it's just it's just a
0: marvelous little scene. Yeah, and then... Uh, what was I going to say? And then they kind of like... Um, Steve Martin kind of blows up at him and leaves him. Uh, like... And their paths don't really ever connect again, I don't think. They, they, I mean, they do... I don't think... They, well, they, they, do,
1: they do tangentially, but yeah, I don't think they meet up again in the film.
0: Um, so this is, uh, this is the town where he meets, uh, Bernadette Peters. He just sees her and is immediately, uh, like immediately in love with her. And this, I, I I was still like, not sure what type of the movie this was. So I'm like, Oh, is he going to be like starting a whirlwind romance? It seemed like there was like, he was genuinely, uh, in love with her. It seemed like and it seemed like there was something more pure than what eventually happens in this. And you, and you get the, you get Bing Crosby singing, did you ever see a dream walking?
1: You know, that that he lip syncs to when he sees her.
0: And yeah, so I, I, uh, I really, I don't know. This movie kept surprising me. I kept like, maybe I just was hoping it wasn't going to get as dark as it does because he does eventually get her to go out. He seduces her the probably the most uncomfortable scene in the movie where he like, he, you know, seduces her to use a very polite term. Uh, you, you could call it, um, date rape, I guess, on the couch, uh, which which, I don't know. I don't know if I, if I want to really parse what's going on there, but it's very molesty. It's very kind of gross watching it now this many years later. Uh, and that's that's the movie's intent. It's not trying to make you think that this is charming in any way. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, but I, I will say
1: they do genuinely fall in love. Yes, yes, but he he. They they. But his his approach to it is he's trying to get laid. Um. So you you don't really know if he's sincere in this in this a supposed love for her at the beginning. Um. That that will play out. But at, yeah, at that moment, he look, he's like, he, he looks like a player. He looks like to somebody, yeah. You know, he's going to take take advantage of this naive school teacher, you know?
0: Yeah. And for a while, it does look like he is in love. And then when it gets this and he's just pushing and pushing and pushing, it gets really skeevy. Um, and it, you, you aren't sure. You're right. You're right. They do fall in love. Their relationship is is much more complicated later on. It just starts out kind of like, in such an odd unpleasant place and right then...
1: but but you also understand his attractiveness to the situation because he is trapped in i guess it would be a loveless marriage i mean it's a marriage in which his wife wants nothing to do with him sexually she's kind of prudish i i i hate the word frigid um but that's what the term would have been back then is that that that, that the, the males would have used is that she's frigid uh, uh, and he's trying to, you know, he he can't even get laid with his wife, you know, because she is so turned off by the sex act. Um, and it might, I, to me, it would be like, well, I think it's just him. He's an asshole and she doesn't want to, you know, <laughs> you know, but she does. She does maintain that she's in love with him. But it is a it is a what I would call a loveless marriage because it's not reciprocated on both parts. But uh, um, so he sees this. He, he basically is looking for any connection outside of his marriage. And he sees you know cute little Bernadette Peters in this film, and he's just like head over heels. And then of course he seduces her. So um, anyway, I was just you know going off on that.
0: No, I, I get I get I, I get the uh, I get the nuance to it, and it is but there is a
1: right after that though. There's this this interesting scene uh, where he's in a bar with some of his buddies. And it turns into, uh, and he's talking about, you know, he's smitten. You know, he's saying, he's telling them he's smitten. He's found somebody and blah, 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 blah. And it turns into this routine that looks very much like the fit as a, fit, fit as a fiddle scene from Singing in the Rain. With him and the other two guys in the bar.
0: Yeah.
1: And the song is called It's the Girl. And it's the three of them on a stage wearing plaid costumes and uh, doing a, doing a vaudeville dance routine. And uh, it's just a, uh, it, it's, it's a really cool scene. Uh, I don't know the names of the actors that are with him, uh, but they, when you watch the scene, it's very clear that it's two ringers. It's two guys who are really good at, at stage dancing. And then Steve Martin, who's adequate, right? He's not yeah. a trained dancer. He's not a trained dancer, but he holds his own. You know, he does, he does well. But it was interesting when you watch the scene, especially multiple times, you realize uh, the levels between the two of them and him. And it's like, and so they really get little showcases in the dance. And then Steve's moves are like big flashy moves that he can do easily uh, while they're doing the more intricate work, you know, so
0: yeah steve martin did uh train for six months to, yeah. to for this role he did but he, yeah he was not a trained dancer and uh other people in the movie were as as we'll find we'll talk about one very yeah. particular. like we
1: said with the, the drifter the accordion man he is a he is a well-known stage dancer and actor and choreographer um and so he, he um so yeah, so they filled they they put in some key roles as far as the musical goes. They put some key people in it. Uh, Christopher Walken is another one who had a dance background, and so we'll see him later in the film, and he's got the best scene in the movie. But at this moment, yeah, this 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 routine is really good. Uh, but as I said, it does remind me totally of "Fit as a Fiddle" from "Singing in the Rain," which is the greatest musical of all time. So uh, it's at least it's, you know, in my opinion, and many other people. Um uh And so, yeah, there, there. Steve Martin even works in a little bit of banjo into the into the into the thing where he just de- 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 de on the banjo really quick, and that of course is one of Steve Martin's you know famous gimmicks is is banjo and not just a gimmick. He's a very good banjo musician, so uh that's kind of cool to see in the film. But you know he worked it in there. Yeah. <laughs> you know he's <it's> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, hey, I play the banjo. Hey, you know, it's like that's exactly how he told them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all
0: right so here i might i might kind of fudge the plot we don't need to go through it plot by plot but it since it, it sounds like yeah. you've got yeah. m- like musical moment by musical moment stuff to to talk about um, i got stuff to say about everything oh okay so. so i guess i guess the next part like it is i guess it is clear that steve martin does have feelings for her but it is his fear that keeps him from like staying with her uh, y- right because he's still trying to succeed in his business as well
1: <clears throat> and, uh, and he also has a situation with his wife because he is actually married and has a, has a wife at home who is worrying about them surviving because it is the Great Depression uh, and uh, his business the, he, he does eventually try to start his business and it fails on him
0: um yeah really 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 badly <laughs>
1: like it's a horrible
0: vocation exactly. too
1: but i i think i think we should just cut to the chase here and get to uh the lipstick scene
0: oh yeah okay yeah cuz um, i just a, uh, maybe maybe this is go ahead oh I was gonna, sorry i didn't mean to interrupt maybe this is the scene i find a little bit more uncomfortable than the the one the the, uh the sex scene with uh bernadette peters on the couch because this is right kind of i mean it's just very uncomfortable it's very
1: awkward harper is the actress playing his wife she is i feel very underrated i love her and everything i see her in i think she's terrific um, modern audiences would know her. I don't know about modern audiences, but I think general audiences would know her best from being the, from being the girlfriend in uh, my favorite year with Peter O'Toole and Mark Lynn Baker.
0: Uh, I was going to say Suspiria.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot about Suspiria. Horror audiences would know her most from Sus- Sus- Suspiria. I did say general audiences would know That's her true. Best That's
0: true.
1: Okay. Because I know lots of people who don't know Suspiria. So, huh. and, and- um, I. I could, I, could, I could say it to my wife,
0: and she would go, huh? You know, it's like...
1: My, but she things, would know her
0: instantly for my favorite year. All right. Well, I know her from, the things that I know her from most are Suspiria and Phantom of the Paradise. Phantom of the Paradise, Paradise yep. Yeah. And, and then, she
1: was also... She plays, she plays the... Uh, She plays Janet in the sequel to Rocky Horror Picture Show, a movie called Shock Treatment.
0: Which, yeah, which we talked about, I haven't seen. Um, You and
1: I talked about, but we didn't talk to the audience about it.
0: No. We we have conversations that aren't part of this podcast. I think people (laughs) understand that.
1: Yeah, I was just stressing to the listener that when you say we talked about it, we didn't talk about it on the show. We talked about it in person. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. You remember where we have people listening. We uh, are supposedly 12 people. So
0: if that if that <laughs> uh and then yeah she i i like her i you're right she is a little bit uh like she hasn't she didn't have a huge career it, it's mostly been tv guest appearances every couple of yeah, years yeah, probably just yeah. to keep her insurance and stuff Um uh, maybe she does a lot of like um i don't know if she does stage or anything like that but
1: I don't know. I I just feel she's been very underrated in the stuff that I saw her in back in the day, so I don't know what she's doing nowadays, but uh, um, I've always liked her in every film I've seen her in. Uh, I think she's terrific. This movie, this has got to be the hardest dramatic moment in anything she's ever done. Uh, This scene is just so well, it was shocking. It was shocking at the time. And it it doesn't seem like much if we were to describe it, you know, but um, she comes in, Martin is like beside himself and she uh, and he's going to leave. He's going to leave her. And then she, she says that she's put lipstick on like he wanted her to. And then he realizes that she's put it uh, on her nipples, which is something he wanted her to. And then he he mentions how they're like little perfect rosebuds. And she but she actually takes off her, she takes off, I can't remember if it's a blouse or if she's wearing just a night nightshirt, but whatever it is, um, she takes it off and reveals herself on the screen with lipstick on her nipples. And it's and she's crying at the same time. And it's just like, oh my God.
0: <laughs> It, it's so distressing but also the fact that i hadn't seen this movie before i'm like wait is this supposed to be funny maybe because he says that rosebuds line and it's it right kind of it seems also a little bit silly but she is reacting like right it is such a violation or not violation but she is demeaning herself so much in her eyes yeah. for it this. is not funny at all yeah yeah it, it's it's rough like it is it is just like, it makes you feel gross watching it or it made me feel gross watching it. But that and might be because I was they, sitting next to you.
1: Well, yeah, no. Hey, <laughs> how, can, how, how can it not be gross? Anyway, uh, but they do, you know, he does stay with her through the night. In the morning, he gets up, he's shaving and we see her in the bed and the, a song comes on called, It's a Sin to Tell a Lie. And what we see is her getting up while and singing lip syncing to the song so we know it's a fantasy thing right from there but she picks up a pair of scissors and is slowly walking up behind him it's chilling because she's singing this song about you know you know you know how she's gonna get you know come after him because he's lying to her and all this stuff and she's raising these scissors up behind his head and you think oh wow she's gonna kill steve martin right in the middle of the film and then of course it cuts back to reality and she's still laying in the bed when he turns around. So uh it's like just a very just wow moment.
0: It certainly left an impression on me as well. Like this I I'm saying is that I will, I would think about this movie because I went to work the next day and the next few days, and I'm doing this like this outdoor construction work, just like like shoveling and like carrying out, I, I mean, just being a gopher on, on these sites now. And I'm doing this, yeah. and I would, I would flash to moments in this movie and it would just like, it would be stuck in my head. I would be going over parts of this movie over and over again, just kind of like working through how I felt about it. And I, I definitely need to see it again. Um, Cause I'm not sure if it's like, if I really think it's a great film or if it just affected me emotionally in a way I wasn't expecting. And so it like really made an impression but well, fact- with, yeah. But that's that's where, that's where
1: the viewer makes a connection with the film is when it makes him think about the film. Where it's not just, oh, I've seen one and done. As I always say about films that I have no interest in seeing again, you know, it's like I'm out the door. I don't need to see that one again. But when a film gets into your head and you think about it, and even if you didn't like the experience, if it gets into your head and makes some sort of connection, that to me seems like. That's a movie worth revisiting, you
0: know. Yeah, you know, I I agree. Uh, the worst thing a movie can be, like the worst movie in the world, the mer- oh sorry, the worst movie somebody has ever seen, they probably don't remember. Like it, it it, it would just be forgettable and boring. That's the worst thing a movie can be. Uh, but like, even a bad movie experience is memorable and has something to it. While all this, while Steve Martin is. He, he talks his wife into giving into giving him some of her money. He opens up his business, which is selling sheet music, just like a, a store record, not even record, I'm sorry, a music store. Um, he, he goes back and sees Eileen, right? He goes back to visit Bernadette Peters and finds out that she's pregnant. She's lost her job as a teacher. Um, and he, he gives her his address, but it turns out to be a fake address. And yet, still very close to where he actually is, because they they just kind of bump into each other one night, and uh, right. But he also doesn't know that she's knocked up either. I thought
1: I thought she told him in that scene. Oh, I thought she told... well in that scene, but before that, he doesn't know she's knocked up. That's when she tells him.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, and he he offers to help and give her what she needs, and then he gives her a fake address and we and dips out. <laughs> right, but. Right. But the the fake address ends up being kind of close to where his business is because they, like I said, they bump into each other because she comes to the city looking for him. It, it's an it, uh, it's just an empty nothing. It's there's nothing there like an empty alleyway, and she goes into a bar and meets Christopher Walken in one scene that kind of is the thing everybody remembers about this movie. Uh, well, it's a showstopper. This is this is the showstopper of the film. This is.
1: Magnificent. That's and if you watch this movie and only remember one thing from it, I mean, I don't know how you can't remember some of those other scenes we talked about, but if you walked out and you had no intention of ever seeing it again, you would always remember this scene because that's the one I know I know ladies certainly remember this scene. (laughs) So
0: because it's Chris Walken just doing a strip tease. Yeah, and I will say, like the one thing I knew about this movie beyond that it was kind of a flop and a fiasco. It considered to be anyway. It, it, it I mean, technically it was a flop. It didn't nearly make its budget back. But um, Got my money. Yeah, uh, but the other thing I knew about it was Christopher Walken had a dance scene that was very memorable that a lot of people considered, as you said, to be a showstopper. Uh, and he is kind of a, I mean, he is definitely a wolf. You you meet he's him. A, he's in- a fan He's a pimp. Yeah, well, but you know, you meet him before you even But he's on
1: the think Lotario or wolf would be the term for him. Yeah. But
0: before you realize he's a pimp, he does right. just seem like like he is predatory, but very charming as well. And he has he sees Bernadette Peters come in. He immediately like clocks what's going on there. And I I,
1: I was thinking she's in the same, she's in the, like, when she walks in and she's looking so, you know, just lost and sad, um, she reminded me of Fay Ray in King
0: Kong. I see, I can see it, I can see it.
1: Yeah, same time period, you know, roughly, uh, you know, just starving on the streets, can't find work, and then only just, you know, Fay Ray ends up on Skull Island, and this one ends up as a prostitute
0: yeah so, you know, it's like this this does seem like an alternate reality for Faye ray because it, when i watch king kong it's like man how lucky that the person that she the person that she found was an actual film director and not just some guy saying yeah let's go make a movie and then she ends up knocked up or dead right you know yeah. so yeah
1: um, oh so she almost did end up dead you know I mean, yeah. like, and i suppose if king kong had his way she'd probably end up knocked up too so uh
0: the uh the bartender tries to warn her off at one point, or, or warn off Christopher Walken, because Chris, Christopher Walken comes up to talk to her at the bar, and the bartender right. is like, just leave her alone. But, uh, but it turns out Bernadette Peters is much more desperate than, uh, well, much more desperate than Steve Martin knew, because she's, you know, knocked up and, and needs to take care of that, has no money, has no home she can go to or a job anymore right. so she is,
1: she is I will say she's also attracted
0: to him because this song the song
1: dance number takes place in her head it's not it's not in Chris Walken's head This ah, is in yeah. her. Well, it's her say... angle she's looking at him she's finding him attractive that's why the strip tease happens I will say that's how, he, that's how he's coming off to her
0: yeah I I will say the, the one of the things I was most surprised about in this movie from 1982 is wait 81, 81, 82 is Deadman. The thing I was most surprised about is the shading they give to Bernadette Peter's character's sexuality that yes, that it starts out with with Steve Martin going too far more farther than she's really comfortable with. And it ends with her Doing these things partly because she actually wants to, and she like like she goes to she she falls in with Christopher Walken partly because she's desperate, but also because yes, she is attracted to him. But she also likes sex. She likes having sex with different people, (laughs) and so it is kind of like she she yeah they they, she and Steve Martin
1: end up switching basically from the start of the film. She's sad and lost. He's he's uh, boisterous and and eager you know to to get out there and 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 tackle things and they meet and then he ends up being the sad and lost one by the end of the film and she has confidence and you know is you know knows what she wants to do there's a certain point where they they are the opposites of each other and then the rest of the film happens and that's after this scene but
0: yeah and like she is not just a victim like the movie gives her a lot more agency and shading than I was expecting. Uh,
1: exactly. Yes. Yes. Very much so. She grows definitely in the film.
0: I, I think. I think. I don't know. I think the movie is like is hers. Really, she has the arc. Uh, uh, Arthur basically finds somebody he can he can be comfortable with, but doesn't like doesn't change really as a character she goes through a lot um he regresses as a character yeah i will I mean, we, he you, does fall, he does fall in love with her he does
1: fall in love with her but he does and he ends up in tragic circumstances due, due to no fault of his own so
0: yeah we were talking about that be, i mean off my, we'll, we'll get to that we'll get to that we, but, well yeah. we, we should actually set that up a little bit because we kind well, of switch over talking about the striptease scene here. Oh, so, okay. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. What do you yeah, have yeah.
1: to say? <laughs> that? Well, I'm just saying, like, Walken is is a is a trained dance, you know, professional from the stages in New York and all that stuff. So, uh, he's he's another ringer in this film, even though you know, he'd already won his Oscar for for Deer Hunter. But uh, but yeah, he he had he had he had done stage work for years, and yeah, he was uh, he was brought in to to add something to the film here, and his dance sequence is the longest one in the film i I think apart from the closing uh the 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 astaire rogers uh simulation at the end of the film but um but he has uh, as far as the solo goes he's got a very long sequence it goes on longer than you expect it to and um it just keeps building and building and building and building and as it as it goes along he's removing more and more clothing as he does it you know and it starts out at one end of the bar ends up at the other end of the bar then he's dancing on the bar then he's dancing on the stage it's like he it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and he's jumping all over the bar room and you know doing acrobatics and and just and it's just amazing to watch it's such a burst of energy
0: yeah it's it's really cool he is great in it like just i don't know his, his I, presence and his dancing. I'm, I'm
1: honestly surprised. And plus his acting in the scene is excellent also. And I'm yeah. honestly surprised he was not nominated for an Oscar, except maybe it would have set a record for least amount of screen time for an Oscar nomination. I think Beatrice Strait was in like seven minutes of Network and won an Oscar. Um, so that might. But then again, uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins was in 15 minutes of Silence of the Lambs and he won the best actor. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, <laughs> You know, I I don't know what the, I don't know what the level is, but he's only in this one scene in the film.
0: But he runs uh, so away he, with it. It's it's he it's, runs
1: away with it. Like uh, Bagneris comes close, but is in more scenes. Uh, but yeah, Walken's in one scene. He's in the film for four minutes, and he
0: kills it. Yeah, he's great in this. I, I agree. Uh, yeah, but I, I, one thing we should kind of circle back to that we. I, I think I glossed over is when he goes to visit Eileen. He comes across, he stops his car for a bit and sees this blind woman walking uh, underneath an overpass, I think is what it is. Right. Yeah. And he, yeah. He, he's, she is, she's gorgeous. And he is kind of trying to, you know. Uh, I wasn't
1: sure that watching it again, because I watched it again since we watched it. And I wasn't sure if he was actually hitting on her. I mean, he does say she's the most beautiful woman he's ever seen, but I think he's generally trying to help her, and, and just the way it's done. Yeah, and he lets they, her go. He lets her go pretty easily. He's just offering to help her, and I, I think I, I, obviously he's a he's a he's a dog, and he you know he would certainly sleep with her and stuff. But I think there's more genuine. I think there's more sincerity there than anything.
0: You're right. That's uh, that 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 was an open question when I saw the movie the first time. I couldn't decide. I just assumed because he's he's kind of throwing himself at every woman on the film in the film so far. Well. Right. Yeah. So he, he's
1: his his basic way is being you know kind of pushy with women. Um, but he does lightly put a hand on her shoulder. But when she pulls away, he just lets her go. And I think I think a, like a guy really trying to do it would you know would probably be a little bit rougher. But, uh, you know, would be less, especially somebody who's fairly defenseless, you know, um, he could have easily overtaken her if he wanted to. Yeah. It, and that, then, kind of, that kind of leads to the rest of the movie. So, it does, because he, he leaves his... Um, he, uh, it's a camel cigarette pack that he yeah. has crumpled up. Before he goes to talk to her, he drops it on the ground and it's got his fingerprints on it. And so as she's leaving that scene, she, she, they show a close-up of her stepping over it. And that's the trigger like, oh, you know, when the first time I saw it, I thought, oh, she's not really blind. She easily avoided that. That's what I thought it meant. And then you realize later that that's the piece of evidence, that's the piece of circumstantial evidence that they used to tie him to her eventual rape and murder, which will happen in a couple scenes
0: later. Which that happened the same day Later the same day or the next day, I couldn't I couldn't tell how long because it's. I don't think I don't think that matters. I uh, I, I don't think it matters
1: because it, it, it's later. It's later because she's walking back through that tunnel. I don't know if it's the same day or if it's just you know a couple days later. But that cigarette packet is still laying there.
0: Yeah, and she stumbles over uh, the accordion man, and right. Like at this point, you're thinking that the accordion man is kind of a down on his luck, but he seems like a sweet guy. That musical number he had is certainly like one of the more positive moments in the
1: movie. This is where
0: they really play you with with how they set it up. But she stumbles over him and immediately reacts in fear. And he is like, no, no, calm down kind of thing. And it cuts away so quickly. You're like, oh, well, I guess he wasn't that great a guy after all. Because the implication there is like the way that edit happens is just like, oh, something horrible just happened. Um, yep. And Steve Martin coming back after leaving Eileen again, sees the cops there, kind of recognizes where he was, but he gets out to, he stops to talk to a cop and then like, or asks somebody what's going on. And then realizes that the woman has died or gets an into like some sort of, I don't know if he knows exactly what happened, but he gets the idea that some, he shouldn't be hanging around and he leaves. But another cop is like, takes down his license plate number, finds it suspicious um, you're right. Yeah, like, I, think, they, I, think he, I think he just went back to look for her and didn't see her. So, oh, you know. okay, the, the evidence they have against him is so like laughably slight, but they do well. Yeah, it's trumped up chart. I mean, it's it's
1: it's all circumstantial evidence, but this that's is all they had to go on.
0: This is probably the most noirish the film gets. Like, I know just to tie it into what we're talking about is that right from this point on, even though he doesn't quite know for a while that the police are after him he is the wrong man on the run because then like later on he i he meets eileen and eileen is a he finds out eileen's a prostitute now and they reconnect they get drunk they're having a grand old time she admits that she wanted to have sex and that she likes having sex with people and he is like it, he admits or like admits to himself or, or kind of has that like that scene where he's like he talks about how much he loves her and he just didn't think that she would like that and they go off together like they trash his store and they just run off like don't go back to the wife don't go back to the pimp and uh live off what little money they have and we see that she is still working like she is leaving the motel to go and work but there isn't seem there seems sometimes to be a little bit of annoyance but you're right that they do seem in love in these scenes like, sometimes you, you see, like, oh, the woman has to go out and prostitute herself. There is that, that relationship with her boyfriend is not a healthy one. But their relationship seems good, other than the fact they don't have money and she has to do this thing.
1: Right. Yeah, I just jumped like, over like, a bunch well, of money. Yeah, you
0: yeah, know, so. I know, I just jumped over a lot of film. There's a lot of stuff that we didn't Oh, no, no,
1: no, it's, it's fine. We've talked a lot about this, but uh, there is there is an interesting scene in the midst of all of this, a, a very quick little musical. I think it's like maybe a minute and a half long, but it's the song, Life is Just a Bowl of Cherries, and it's Bernadette Peters and Jessica Harper and Steve Martin, they're all wearing sailor suits. Yeah. like not, not sailor suits, but like like kind of admiral type sailor suits, not yeah. like, like like the deck sailor suits. Um, but they're like kind of dressed kind of naughty, in nautical uniforms and they're, uh, they have a, like a big microphone in the middle of the stage. It's like, they're like doing a radio broadcast. And so the three of them, uh, lip singing along to, uh, 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 to the song and, um, um, Steve Martin is like, you know, playing along on a uke, on a ukulele. And Jessica Harper has the best part of the song that she gets to lip sing to, which is the boom, 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 boom. <laughs> boom boom, boom! boom. So it's like she has this really deep voice and it's so cute it's like a, just adorable watching her do that um and it's it's just a, yeah it kind of made, it made me flash on uh the song that uh this is the ukulele i think the song that steve martin and bernadette peters uh sang in the jerk which is tonight you belong to me when they're on the beach and they're singing that song to each other and um uh, and in two part harmony and uh, uh, it's very cute song and, and jerk. And then this reminded me kind of of that moment a little bit, I think mostly it's the ukulele doing it, but, uh, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a marvelous little kind of insert in, in all this uh, very depressing material.
0: Um, yeah. And while they're living off, the police are tracking down Steve Martin. They go to talk to Jessica Harper and she admits what he made her do that. he He was always so horny all the time and the cops kind of look at each other and like oh this is our guy this this pervert and um, right and she gets like righteously angry like her fury in this moment that he's like cut his balls off or where does she cut his dick off yeah uh, yeah
1: she wants wants to see she wants to see them cut his dick off
0: it's, is such a, it's such a turn for her it's such a shocking thing to come out of her mouth depending yeah. on the, Based on what she's been doing the rest of this movie.
1: Right. It's like not wanting to see any dick at all, but yeah, it's like, uh,
0: so, uh, this is almost the end of the, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, the the, the next thing is there's
1: uh, the next major thing is the theater scene, which is really kind of the summation of everything in the film about the, the the kind of the, the, the conceit of the film, which is, um, uh where well which is where they literally enter a film that they're watching yeah you know at least at least in, within fantasy um and that and that's uh they're watching uh, follow the fleet which is one of a stare and roger uh, fred astaire and ginger rogers classic films and um uh, so they're in a theater watching it and fred astaire starts to sing let's face the music and dance and it's a very very famous dance sequence in the film which was shot in one continuous take. Uh, um, and so, and it's just the Starr and Rogers just doing what they do best. And it's a gorgeous song and it's a gorgeous dance routine. And it, it's just, they do the whole thing and it's like a three minute, you know, three minute uh, take for the, for the dance sequence in just one camera. And it's marvelous. Um, so they're watching the movie. Steve Martin starts lip syncing along with the song as Fred Astaire is singing bernadette peters turns to watch him and realizes you know that he's singing along with it and she realizes how even though they're having a conversation at the same time she's realizing at this point just how connected he is to music and movies and then you see them walking up onto the stage in front of the screen and when they get to the edge of the screen they start to replicate what astaire and rogers are doing on the screen right behind them much larger and then for about 30 seconds or so, they're dancing along with the stan Rogers, a little bit off, you know, but that's not the point. The point is the passion that they feel, you know, the passion they feel for each other and for the music. I always get mad when people go, well, they didn't exactly do what they're, you know, and it's like, that's not the point, you know, yeah. not even the point to perfectly mimic what they're doing on screen. Because at that point, we suddenly see, the song is still playing, you know, the, the clip is still playing, you know, in the, in the background. Uh, but suddenly we see, uh, in black and white Steve Martin and Bernadette Peters dressed up in, you know, a nice dress and, t- uh, 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 tuxedo and tails and stuff. And they're all of a sudden on a simulation of the set from the movie follow the fleet, but, in their version, which is com- the, the rest of the... So we don't see Astaire and Rogers really dancing anymore. We see just the fantasy version of it where they're still dancing to the same song, but it's a dance routine that is completely separate from the one in Follow the Fleet. This one has uh, like a bunch of dancers. It's got lots of canes, lots of like, you know, all, all sorts of just interesting shots that are not in the Astaire and Roger one, which is one take. So at that point, it becomes its own dance sequence. Uh, but it's marvelous it's it's just a, it's a lovely little dance <clears throat> you
0: know it's and a great moment it, it is really is it's good
1: yeah well there, there is something kind of uh, ironic because um the way this film ends uh with martin uh kind of you know being dead <laughs> being being arrested this the scene ends with martin going to jail um and in followed the fleet um Ah, uh, Fred Astaire's character, while he hasn't killed anybody or has been accused of killing anybody, has gone AWOL from the Navy to do what he does in the film and all this stuff, and so he actually ends up in jail also at the end of that song. Oh. He ends up in the brig. He ends up in the brig. Yeah, uh, and, and has to serve some time in there. Um, so I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing. I don't, I don't know if there's actually meant to be a connection there, but it is funny that both characters end up, you know, in jail.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I was going to say, since we're kind we're of to it, he gets arrested and he, he kind of just immediately goes to the gallows, or not immediately, the film just kind of goes, to, he, he's at the gallows. Uh,
1: I, I will say, thank goodness they cut out any trial sequence that they might have had.
0: You know, yeah, so, Eileen,
1: that a terrible.
0: Eileen is watching somehow. Uh, I mean, I can't, I, I wasn't sure if she was actually supposed to be watching from a window or just... Uh, I don't think she's watching from a window. I think she's just wistfully
1: looking out a window.
0: Okay, okay, that makes sense. Um, because then he is standing behind the uh, the noose, and it is the only moment of singing in the movie. Is he actually starts to kind of slowly, softly sing "Pennies from Heaven," and right, it, actually singing, yeah, yeah. And then the movie ends with one final, like, kind of ironic twist of the knife fantasy sequence where Eileen is. Is walking away sadly, and here comes Arthur yelling after her, and it's like we can't, we can't, we can't have gone through that without a happy ending. Um, Yeah, he says, "Whoever
1: said you can't stop a dream?
0: Ah, that's it.
1: Whoever said you can't stop a dream? We can't have gone through all that without a happy ending."
0: And they they have one like final burst of happiness and joy, and that's what the movie lets it lets us out on. A bunch of we, kick
1: lines, and then the, there's like a rainbow, and then he says, "I'm Arthur, and I love you," and then that's the end of the movie.
0: And that—that's you know, unfortunately, a fantasy sequence. We we kind of know where the rest of the movie is, uh, where sure. where he happens in real life. I want to ask you if, like, if you think this was a, that dancer in the dark was an attempt at a remake of this film.
1: I think it's a, a an attempt at the same style of film. I don't know if it's actually a remake of it, but now,
0: I, I guess remake is too strong word. I, know,
1: I know I know why. Okay, so the I really enjoyed Dancer in the dark. I cannot rewatch it. I've only seen it the one time, and I will not own it, and I cannot watch it. And the reason I cannot watch it is because of the lynching scene. I I I have a real
0: problem with lynching scenes in films. Well, and wait, wait. Are you talking about the end end or the It's been a long time Wait what
1: Dancing Dancing in the Dark has the big hanging scene in it
0: Yes yes
1: right. I, I, and I, I cannot rewatch that film because of that scene
0: Okay I I've seen that movie a few times um, I have not seen it since probably 2002 or so uh, I think I've seen it a handful of three times and I, I purposefully am not watching it because I don't want to get used to that movie. Um, I, I, I understand what you're saying. There are movies that I, I find like, I, I can't revisit because I, they just make me, they bum me out too much. This movie bums me out, but in a way where I kind of like I feel invigorated by it. Like I, I like the movie so much. I think it's so well done that I, I'm bummed out but I'm still like jazzed by how good the experience was or how well put together it was. I don't know if that makes right. sense. Um, but I, I have seen that movie a few times. And, I, I, I generally loved the movie. I, I really loved it. I
1: cannot own it and I cannot watch it again.
0: I get upset
1: think... me so much. The, yeah. The, the hang- Upset me so much. I, I have a real problem with them, and 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 uh, not that I don't run across them in films all the time, and not that I haven't seen the Oxbow incident several times, and, and several you know, uh, hang them high. You know, I've seen uh, even recently I saw it again. But I just have. I, I, I think when I was a kid, I read this history book, and it had scenes of actual people being hung in it, and some of them, and of course most of them are black, but Um, and those images just stuck with me since I was probably like probably about nine or ten. And it's always and so I just I cannot when I see a hanging scene in a film I get really upset and so it's just and especially if they like follow through and I just you know it doesn't matter whether it's a, a really bad guy being hung in a cowboy movie or if it's a good guy being hung in a cowboy movie or if it's a and it's especially bad if it's like a civil rights movie or something like that they just it just really freaking upsets me. And uh, yeah, I, I cannot dance in the dark made me cry like crazy or dancer in the dark, not dancing in the dark.
0: Yeah, um, well, I agree. I saw it in the theaters and that, that scene is much more visceral than others of its, of its type. Um, it I, is. Well, I remember why. I did too. And I remember doubling over in the theater. Like I was in my seat. I was kind of leaning forward again. And when that happened, I had a physical reaction. I had like a physical doubling over and It took me a minute to look back up. Uh, it It was, it was so striking, in a way that other scenes like it aren't. And so I get it. I'm not trying to say you're wrong. I get it. I'm just saying, like, my reaction to that movie is so, like, I was so energized by it, which is like a a weird thing to say, because it sounds like you know, (laughs) like I'm I'm a creep. Yeah, I was
1: too. I was too. It's just, it's one of the few films that just got to me it just got that one scene got to me so bad it's like i'm so afraid to revisit it because again i don't want that scene in my head you know
0: but it, it is it, it there is such a similarity to this movie from the you know the way that she, she escapes from her existence into musicals when her existence is a little bit too depressing um, yeah
1: there's a there's been a few things that have done that but potter potter did it time and again so you know okay. he, he did it that, but that's whole that's the whole thing detective thing. I mean, it's like you know he a regular uh, kind of a kind of a regular motif of his of his work is people escaping into fantasy, you okay. know, yeah. So, um, through either music or movies, you know, um, so yeah, it, it's it, it's it's a thing. But yeah, Dance in the Dark is definitely in the same genre, and it, it might even have been inspired by it. It might have been you know von Trier's you know way of doing it or bjork and Runcher's doing way of doing it yeah i i just I it's, was and, and, and bjork is fantastic in it you know it, it's 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 an absolutely worthwhile film i probably will revisit it eventually it's just i've been afraid to um that. I, and, but i also you know I, i'd like to show it to jen sometime because i think she'd get something out of it But, you know, it's just one of those things that's just like, yeah, I don't know. I I mean, it'd be a waste of money for me to own it because I watch it. Maybe I'd watch it one more time, but I don't think I'd ever get comfortable enough to do the rest. But anyway, back to this movie. Okay. Back to this movie. So I did one one last thing I wanted to say about this film. Um, Fred Astaire, who was still alive at the time, hated this movie.
0: I read that.
1: He said, and I quote, I have never spent two more miserable hours in my life. Every scene was cheap and vulgar. They don't realize that the thirties were a very innocent age and that should have been set in the eighties. I, it was just froth. It makes you cry. It's so distasteful. Uh,
0: Well, I just, I I agree. I agree a little bit. Not, not that I agree. I understand a little bit until he gets to the part that the thirties were so innocent. Which is that's just a the trigger thing
1: for me that is yes because that to me is the same as fucking Sean Hannity going oh things were so much better when I was a kid so we have to ruin today because you know for everybody because uh, things aren't the way it was when I was growing up in the 50s and it's like I fucking hate nostalgia of that sort and the thing is Fred Astaire you were alive in the 30s I love Fred Astaire don't get me wrong I absolutely love Fred Astaire but The 30s were not a very innocent age. Every other movie was about adultery or murder, you know, because the world is always filled with adultery and murder. And so no age has ever been innocent. Um, It might have seemed innocent through the media, but it's like uh, humankind has been humankind since the beginning. It's all rape and it's all murder and it's all adultery and it's all killing and war and death. And yeah, there's births and there's happiness and birthdays and all that stuff in between because that's the way life is. It's up and down all the time. No age is innocent. Um, it, it just that's just the appearance that it had. But even in the 30s, it was all you know, up and down. And it was a freaking depression. People were desperate. People were starving. You know, it's like I, it's that, just it's just such it's just such and just an inane statement. And it's just somebody who's trying to hang on to his legacy at
0: that point. That's you what know, I, and, I found so uh like so galling about his statement was that it was the goddamn depression like and people were suffering right, so yeah. badly that yeah, that like, yeah. Oh, it's a more innocent time it's like oh shut up
1: yeah. yeah oh yeah those people jumping out of you know jumping out of windows because they lost an innocent time oh uh, ridiculous. Anyway, yeah. yeah, but I, I, it's just nostalgia for his heyday overshadowed reality, as far as I'm concerned. You
0: know what? It's, what I will, what I will agree, uh, not agree with, but I will understand about his statement, and all uh, this will be my summation, I guess, of the movie, is that two hours, he like two miserable hours. This movie, can, I agree with that. Yeah, this movie can seem like miserableism, and there is a part of me that was like. During this watch, I was like, this is just making me unpleasant. Or this is making me uncomfortable. This is unpleasant. I don't like it. And yet that that is kind of like that is not engaging with the movie or what the movie is doing. That is like that is just looking at the surface of it, right? And being right. like, this is this is a bunch of unpleasant people doing unpleasant things. Um, but there is, there is like, there is heart to it, there is shading to it. Like I said, the characters are not as one dimensional as they look, even though they keep jumping into musicals that, that would be even more one dimensional. Um, it, I, I am still not sure completely where I fall on this movie, but it is a, it it is a movie that stuck with me in a way like movies don't do that often. So it's one that I will be coming back to. And maybe, I mean, maybe I should do another follow-up episode someday where I'm like, well, I've watched the movie a few more times and thought about it, but Yeah, as of now, this is like a fascinating movie. Yeah, it is, it is. I I think,
1: you know, honestly, I would put it, uh, it, and this is a film from the same period. I think the one that, like, so I ended up watching this a couple of times in the past couple of weeks, one with you and then one apart from it. Um, Actually, I watched it earlier today. And um, um, I I would say that my estimation of the film has actually risen uh, since I first saw it. So over the years, I've probably seen it about seven or eight times, I think total. And I think every time I revisit it, I think I actually like it a little bit more because it becomes more ingrained in my character, in my nature. So it's like uh I I enjoy it more now than I did when and I liked it when it came out. So I never thought it was a flop. I never, you know, I was one of those films that I hear people say, Oh, it was a flop. And it's like, well, not critically for me. I like a lot of critics liked it actually. So I mean you know at even at the time so some didn't but some did you know so um now i think it's i think it's a terrific movie i think it's gorgeous looking gordon willis's cinematography is just sharp i mean talking about noir edges in the film even though it's not noir as far as as far as like style or content goes uh, except for a couple of brief moments um that you mentioned uh but the look like half the film is, at least the, the the darker parts of the film, are drenched in like rain-soaked streets and just bars and kind of grimy you know, areas of town. There's like nothing, except for the inside of the bank, nothing is, you know, like sharp or, or beautiful looking. You know, it's just, it's all, it's very dark edged. Um, so it's perfectly suited to being like a, I would say noir adjacent Um where it's like not quite in the right period for noir, but it's like like a precursor, you know. So, yeah. Um. I, I. But I think I think the film gets better the more you see it, and the more you appreciate the performances in it.
0: Well, that I think that's going to do it for us on that. I'm going to definitely watch it. I actually kind of want to watch it again tonight <laughs> after we're talking about it. Um, there you go. So uh, that's going to do it for our discussion. We'll be back in just a minute. We're just going to have a big bit of a wrap up say goodbye and uh uh yeah we'll be right back (laughs) Right. and uh we're back and we're just got a couple of minutes here we're gonna say goodbye uh i don't know if you've got anything that you want to promote or send people to or no, no just working
1: working 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 and uh, and then watching movies in my every moment that i'm not working so i will say um i w- um so as of through yesterday i've seen 1201 movies this
0: year <laughs> so oh my gosh can you, 1,201, can you think of one movie, one, like really good one that surprised you that you would put in a top five? Could you even make a top five out of 1,200 movies?
1: Well, because I, I have a database and I rate them, I can, like, it would take me a couple minutes, but I could throw together all of my highest rated movies for the year, but I, okay.
0: well, I just, I was like, I was wondering like what, what out of that 1200 sticks in your mind? Like what is one that, that like, that just off the top of your head <laughs> off the that, top of my head, like, like kind of sticks in your head. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm putting you on the spot. I don't know what I'm asking. Well, you are putting my spot because I hadn't really thought. I will say I did get
1: around to watching a documentary about um wayne white the the artist the puppeteer um called beauty is embarrassing and i've been putting it off for a few years it came out in 2012 i think and he is the guy who designed Wee's playhouse he is the guy who has done ton- he, does, he does these incredible word paintings these days where uh, it, it, it's really hard to describe but he he's he's such an um just incredible artist and he does like full size puppets and he does animation and i you've seen his work i mean if you've seen the playhouse you've seen his work he did some of the animation on it and he did he designed the sets and the and the and like Randy and Terry and all those characters those are his puppets and uh um but he has this just amazing documentary out about him called beauty is embarrassing and just goes into his life and history and uh it's marvelous it's that one really stuck out to me and i have been meaning to actually watch it again this year i mean i mean i uh, that's the one that immediately comes to mind because i mainly oh the one the one and the the thing that you and i watched i mean it's technically not a movie but it kind of is because it's a stage show but it's a film stage show but it's in and of itself uh that the one you said? Oh, you got to watch this, and I watched it. Eric Delgadier, uh incredible film. You know, yeah, Frank Oz directed it. I was uh, you recommended it to me. So,
0: yeah, that's a movie that I, 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 I watched it twice because Amber and I watched it, and then we we showed our daughter. Where I, I recognize I am being manipulated. I even recognize how I'm being manipulated. I- and it exactly. still worked. like i i know people who kind of like there's a bit of a backlash people are like um are, are kind of like you know uh like coming out and like it's not that good and it's just like it's fake it's manipulation and i'm like yeah it is but i it still worked. Yeah. like i i like let myself go in that that show and found it very affecting um, absolutely that's the that's the whole point it's it's magic i mean it, you know quote-unquote illusion
1: yeah you're being set up you're being set up emotionally and that's the whole point of the show and um and i just i just i mean, i mean that show the way it works is exactly how like religions work so you know when I want to look at it that way
0: i know and that that makes me think like i get the cynicism because i can i get looking at that and going like oh this seems a little cultish i am suspicious of this and yet i i was still like this is good like <laughs> i like this yeah um i, I so i'm i'm gonna forgo any other uh, any other
1: films here but those two really stuck out to me there's a bunch of other ones that did if i really thought about it yeah um, that's
0: that's fine the, the one you it about is from- also
1: it is also hard i mean i the reason i brought those up is because i recently thought about rewatching both of them again and i put them on my little my, i put them on my little checklist for films i want to yeah i always make a little list of films that i want to rewatch. Relatively soon. And so that's the only reason that I actually brought those to mind. Otherwise, I wouldn't remember if I watched them this year or last year because it's just, I see so many films. It's like, it just becomes a wash to me. Um, I, I will say the film that I probably have gotten the most enjoyment out of watching in the last year is the movie I've been trying to get you guys to watch for a couple months now, which is Yeti, Giant of the 20th Century. <laughs>
0: oh, wait. Let's talk about this off the air. Are we, maybe we can do a group watch this week. I've been trying to get everybody to do a group watch, but we want I know, I to know include, you mentioned it. I'm sorry, I didn't respond.
1: Carlos, we wanted to include Carlos, but you know he doesn't watch the films regularly with us. Yeah, so. well, he, he
0: works until two in the morning, so we did have to. Right, be on. Yeah. So it's well, maybe we could do it on a Saturday.
1: Absolutely. I yeah, but yeah, I want to because I want everybody else to see this crazy ass movie. <laughs> it's okay. like
0: it's well, called Yeti
1: giant of the 20th century you can find variations on the title it's a 1977 italian film about uh a giant king basically king kong sized yeti uh who climbs built he ends up climbing buildings and doing the whole king kong thing but it's in italian and he's helped out by a girl and her brother and their dog and it's just so
0: ridiculous i will I, let's get. I, I'll. I'll get right in the group chat right after this. It's we should awesome talk about it if anybody wants to see it. Okay. Um. I those are great. I just looked up the art, uh, the word paintings of uh, Wayne White, and those look great. Those are really cool. Um, yeah. I. I definitely will check that out. I, that, that sounds I, very the interesting.
1: When I saw it it was on Amazon Prime, the movie. So. Okay. Uh, the
0: documentary. Uh, as for Absolutely. me. I don't really have much to i mean i I don't know if i have anything really great to uh recommend i just binged all of brand new cherry flavor but i'm not sure if you're done with that so let's not we don't need
1: to watch the the last uh, there eight episodes yeah yeah i I still have to watch five six seven eight okay and actually when we're done with this after i eat dinner because i know i'm not going to eat dinner while i watch it um especially (laughs) after especially after the fourth episode
0: oh man yeah
1: where they did some things I did not know that you could do on film. Um, uh, it's one thing in particular. Um, I will say I am fascinated with it. I'm really enjoying it, but it is a mess. I mean, not in that it's bad in that it's just crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm having a ball with it. I know by this point that I probably won't show it to Jen. Uh even though she's opened up more to like horror type stuff i don't think she's ready for this so because uh, <laughs> i showed her the first episode of uh, um, american gods and she was very upset by that first episode and so i would say that fourth episode was probably in line with the first episode of american gods as far as something that they do And so I don't think I'm going to show her the series because she'll just have probably the same reaction.
0: So, and then other than that, I I I just watched uh, the first two Street Fighter movies with Sonny Chiba. I I I wanted to watch more Sonny Chiba movies after his passing, uh, but so far I've only just watched the first two, and they are really man it is like taking me back. I haven't seen these movies in so long, but I I watched them so wild for me. Yeah, I watched them so much for a while. I need to,
1: to, I need to get the what is it a box set, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really great. It has the original language tracks. You can actually hear Sunny Chiba speaking. Um, like the the, the 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 dubs are well, not they're, well. Yeah, they're they're how I rec- I remember the movie. Also, Me too. these, yeah. these, so, these yeah. Blu-rays are uncut and right That's previously. Previously, I'd only seen the R-rated version. So th- this has been kind of eye-opening watching them. All right.
1: Yeah, I need to get that. That's, I will say, I finally, over the last two weeks, I have, I wa- I watched the the set of the OSS-117 movies all, yeah. with all five of those. And then uh, over the weekend, I watched all three of the Phantomas films from the 60s, the same director who did all the OSS-117s from the 60s uh uh Hunabel. um I've, I've watched all eight of those movies total over the last two weeks so uh i am caught up on phantomas except for the serial which i've seen parts of and i am caught up on os 117 except for the second and third dujardin uh parody versions
0: yeah i'm actually i'm actually about
1: to you've released the third one this year oh. there's actually... there's a new
0: one there's a new okay. one i haven't seen any of them but um, I am actually about to rewatch *Le Vampire*, *Le Vampires*, or how I don't know. I don't know how much French accent I should put on that. Uh, and the the serial, you know, yeah, serial, same yeah. same that guy I, who did *Phantom yeah, of*.
1: Yeah, I yeah the original. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen I've seen that. Um, I, I've seen that serial. I just have not watched the *Phantom* Oz serial. But I do want to get both on on Blu-ray. So.
0: Yeah, I was getting them from the library here. A couple Yeah. Of um, anyway, I think that's going to do it for us. We've actually been going for quite a while. We'll see how how much stays in with the edit. <laughs> but uh, this, I think this, my feeling is this is going to be kind of a supersized episode. But we'll see. Maybe I'll be surprised. Um, there you go. So uh, for me, you can find me uh, or the show, I should say, on Twitter and Instagram, both places at Two Headed Pod. That is spelled out T W O Headed Pod. Um, there's also a gmail account if you have any longer questions or things you want to say that is twoheadedpodcast at gmail.com and that's going to do it for us uh, we will see you next week as we kind of barrel through the last few weeks here of summer in the shadows have a good one bye Oh, have to have the final word always it's my show and you can't let me have the final word just like when i'm in an
1: audience and we're all clapping i always get the last clap in all right. Like it'll it'll dwindle down, and then I'll hear a clap, and I'll go. And if I hear one more clap, I go again. Oh, I always next do.
0: Time next time if we're ever somewhere live, I'm going to see how long I can keep you going on that. Oh, it'll go all night. <laughs> all right. Goodbye, everybody. You will you will be exhausted.